Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Wednesday morning. The seasons are colliding. Football and basketball overlapping in the spring. It's kind of weird that way. Uh, Puka Nakua, big story. He wants to transfer back to BYU. PK and I had him on in the very last segment of the show yesterday. We're going to replay that for you coming up at about 6.40 this morning. So stay tuned for that. Right now, before we get to the basketball and the March Madness, we're going to start with a little college football. Spring football at BYU. Multiple storylines. Here's Kalani Sataki with the media. We were just talking to Jacob, and you know, obviously, we've talked to Baylor, we've talked to Jaron. What's it been like watching these guys? And what have you liked? What do you what do you want to see from them as as they battle for the most high profile position? Yeah, I like the competition. I like that they all um, you know, they, they they have a high sense of, of confidence, and uh, that's because they've worked hard. And now we got this great competition going on, and and you're seeing the best out of them every day and so I, I think um, their job is to make it really hard on us as far as who to choose and so far they're doing a good job at it and so um, you know I, I, it's just nice to have a bunch of guys that can play in a lot of different positions and uh, definitely helps out when they're playing quarterback so uh, we'll keep it keep it rolling and I'm just proud of those guys and uh, the professionalism that they have around each other and around the team and um, just the high high competitiveness that they have also is, it's it's being a, a, a good um, example for the rest of the guys that are competing for spots right now too I also wanted to ask just about Mick Hill saw the notification about oh, his yeah. retirement and obviously he's meant a lot to BYU football just some thoughts on him or stories about him what what he's meant to to this program yeah it's it's going to be really hard to, to say goodbye to Mick and and you know he he was here when I was a player and so um uh, you know, I'm I'm really thankful that I got to be the head coach, um, and that he was in the equipment room with us. And um, you know, we've had I think just just goes to show the type of people that that are around our players and um, and how how much, how much of an impact they have on our lives. And so uh, you know, all, all these great mentors that we've had that I I've been able to have as a player and and uh, seeing them impact others' lives and specifically with our football players, it's it's a, it's just it's just a great sight to see, and I'm uh, really thankful for for the things that Mick has done and, and all his years of service, decades of service, and uh, you know we're gonna miss him. He's he's always welcome back here. It's his home, but um, you know we're 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 thankful for all the work that he's done, the sacrifice, and the the lives that he's influenced here. All right, let's go, Mitch, and then Hunter. Hey, Kalani, uh, what's uh, you know? Just talked with uh, Jacob. What, what's some of your memories of uh, that recruitment, uh, getting Jacob to sign with BYU, and what he maybe meant to that recruiting class? Um, just some of the characteristics that you saw in him as a recruit. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, when we, we talked to him and, and was it, we were able to work with him, I think the most, uh, uh, for me, the, 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 the most impressive thing was him being a recruiter for us when he was committed to us and. Uh, you know, we, we had to battle with him a little bit because battle for him because there was a lot of teams coming after him, and uh, he stuck with it. And, and not only that, but he was able to call and, and make some, um, you know, some uh, uh, some recruiting calls. Trying to keep, I mean, that's what great quarterbacks do is they want to make sure that they have good targets to throw to, and they want to make sure that they have linemen to protect them. And so uh, it was it was a really good moment. But he he he's a guy that you didn't have to ask him to do stuff. He was always on top of it from the very beginning. And 
and that's just the way he's been as a player. You know, he uh, took advantage of all the reps that he got as a scout team quarterback and um, against our defense. And, and I walked in to tell in when he was saying that he was able to go against them. He, he gave our, our, our defense a lot of uh, a lot of issues and a lot of fits with, with his accuracy and, and his ability to, to make plays and make great accurate throws. And so uh, he's just the type of guy that whenever faced with adversity or even faced with things that aren't ideal, he'll turn it around and make it a positive and, and learn and grow from it. And that's exactly what our culture is all about here on this team. And he's a perfect fit for our program. You're third of the way through practices, I believe today was day five. Uh, how are you guys health-wise? Is there still an optimistic outlook on on having a a spring game at the at the conclusion of this? Where are you at in, in terms of health? Yeah, we're hopeful for that. I mean, I think you, we've got some a uh, little bit guys that are banged up here and there, but that happens with with uh, a physical sport. But um, we've been able to get a lot of eleven on eleven football and. Um, you know, we keep working with that. I think we're going to ramp it up a little bit more, too, as, as we go on, especially uh, working towards the tail end of a spring ball. Right now, we're still in, in the install phase, trying to get as much as we can in there before we scrimmage and before we go uh, a lot of the live work. So um, I, I feel really good with the team. I feel really good about, about the coaching and the things that I've seen from the leadership and, and the progress that I'm seeing from a lot of our younger guys that are developed and competition has been really good so I, I'm really excited about what I'm seeing from the team right now and we'll we'll just keep building on this last year we, we were cut around this time you know where we're done I think we're done after practice five and so now we'll try to make the next 10 count and, and try to make sure that we can help this uh you know get us into good momentum going into the off season and going into fall camp Coach, are you maybe to looking to add any more players to the roster through the transfer portal or anything like that? Yeah, recruiting is always, I mean, even with it being a dead period, uh, you know, for it seems like it keeps getting extended. Uh, we're going to do as much as we can in recruiting. So recruiting always happens. It's a, it's a year-round thing. So anytime there's, and I'm always looking to uh, improve our team and, and uh, get it better. And there's a lot of guys that I think fit our program and, and we'll just keep working with that so as long as we as long as the, the portal happens we're, we've got to make sure that we check into it and make sure that they're good fit for what we're doing here at BYU and want to commit to what we're what we're about what's maybe something that you saw from you know week one of spring practices that you either want to improve on or build on here in week two well there's just so much room for improvement I mean I, I think uh, develop depth is the key you know we want to make sure that we have more than just 11 starters on offense and 11 stars on defense and then we're getting a good uh, amount of special teams work in uh, as well so uh, we've got to focus everyone talks about offense defense but I think the the, the third phase uh, special teams is just as important and um, they can win your game so we're going to focus on those things and keep working on the fundamentals I, I see a lot of great development from our players and you can see guys have made some um, made some sacrifices uh, in getting their bodies right and making sure that they got bigger and stronger. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're trying to put it to, to work on the field. Right now, from what I'm seeing, I, I think uh, I like the way it's working. Uh, I think we have a good chance. Um, ben and then Mitch. Coach, um, just kind of piggybacking off recruitment, Mitch's question and Hunter's question. What makes... BYU an attractive destination right now to play at if you were to kind of encompass it and, and describe it as uh, 
in a pitch? Like, what makes it attractive to, to recruits right now? Well, I, I would say right when you ask that question, I think the opportunity to grow and learn is the fact that BYU is hard is the key. You know, it's it's a difficult place uh, as far as academics. It's, it's It'll test you in academics. Obviously, we're going to put you in an uncomfortable position in, in football and try to get the most out of you in football. And and, uh, and then you, you have to commit to a, a lifestyle that's unique and different than anywhere else in the country. So I think we hang our hat on the fact that this is going to be a tough, tough go at it. And, and But you're going to learn a lot of great things about yourself. It's very similar to what you do on a mission. You know, the, we, we love our missions, those that have served missions, because it's, it was hard and because there's so much growth took place in those two years. And I think there's an opportunity for these young men here, whether they're here for four, five years, two years, or even one year as a transfer, great opportunity for them to grow and, and get better. And, uh, you know, we, we feel like our culture is built on love and learn, and, and I think you can really thrive for those guys that are looking for a, a way to test themselves and, and get better. We see kind of the, the different mantras that come out and uh, goals and visions that, that that have come out of the football program. What makes that culture that you described unique um, in the grand scheme of things? And, and what makes it, you know, your culture that you've created there? Well, first of all, it's not, not like I'm the one that, that's creating all this stuff. This is This is what we work with as a society and what we work with that's very similar to what we do in the gospel. And so... Uh, for me to sit here and act like it's it's an original um, thing for, idea for me is it's it's not. I, I, obviously, it's been around and and there's some things that Lavelle did that, that I think really carry over and, and are good things. And there's things that even Croton and and, and Bronco when they during their time, uh, it'd be foolish of me not to learn from the guys that have been here before and have done it right. And then I want to make sure that I keep building on that. And so, if uh, it, for me, it just follow. I mean, get religious here is just follow the example of Christ in everything, you know. And I think I think that's an easy uh, formula to follow for for all of us, and whether we're young or old. And I, I'm that, I'm trying to keep working on that. And it's not about I don't think it's about being perfect. It's about uh, effort and going going to doing your, being your best self. And so I think uh, President Nelson talked about that the Lord loves effort. I think that's a great statement there. Uh, Kalani, you know, Mick Hill's staff, the, the equipment staff, it's kind of rebranded a little bit as, as player experience staff. And I'm curious, is, is the player experience, is it kind of a byproduct like you have to almost recruit players every single day in your program in this era of the transfer portal? Do, do you think like that at all, where you have to make sure that you're winning your guys over every day they're in the program and also on the recruiting trail? No, not really. I mean, I feel like uh, there's there's reasons for guys to leave and reasons for guys to be added here, and so that's part of the whole attrition. That's that's just part of football, and then the transfer portal makes it easier and more difficult in in a lot of different ways. So to put it all in one general statement, it's really hard to to do that for me. But I, I feel like if if you're kind of going with what we're doing here as a program and what our our mission statement is as a, as a university and as a football program. Uh, I think it'll be okay, but there's guys that want to play more and and want to look at other opportunities to play, and I get that too. I, I just think, don't think it has to be a negative issue. I think there's a, there's a way that we can communicate with our players and see what's best for them and see what's best for us, and and then come to a conclusion that that will make everybody happy. At least uh, I want more guys that are committed to to what we're doing here, and um, 
you know, whether someone's uh, not being their best self or, or can be their best self somewhere else, I, I think the key is for them to, to find a way and be in an environment where they can thrive. And so I think just being transparent, have an open discussion with players and, and then seeing what they're all about, seeing what their passions are about. And, and um, and then you know come to a really good conclusion on what where they where they fit the best and maybe it's a position change maybe it's a, a wholesale change as a different location, but I, I don't think it's a, it's a negative thing. We're talking about them and their dreams. I think if you just don't do anything and don't do anything about it, then that then that doesn't do anyone any good, whether it's a coaching staff or a player. All right, we're going to do last two questions, Jake Edmonds and then Dick Harmon. Hey, Coach. Uh, going back to, to Jacob's interview, he mentioned he kind of characterized himself as a pocket passer that can also run the ball, uh, which seems like a lot of quarterbacks could say that. But what, how would you characterize him and what makes him unique, what kind of sets him apart? Well, I think all the, all the quarterbacks have something that's unique about all, all of them, you know. But uh, if we're talking about Jacob specifically – uh, the guy's a winner. <laughs> you look what he's done in high school, and he's a great leader, you know, and, and, um, and he works hard. And so uh, I think he's creative, and he does a lot of great things. And, he, and there's never a job that's that's too little for him or too big. So I, I think uh, Jacob's got a bright future, and it all depends on when that when that when when his time starts. You know, it's up to him. And I think the competition is going to get the best out of all those guys, and He's he's embracing the competition just like Jaron and and Baylor and Soldier and the rest are. Lonnie, you have a developmental program, and you know Chris Wilcox was a great example of what you tried to do when you get the measurables. Who would you think would be another candidate to take a step like that in your development as you try to get the people that could fit in, and then you try to build them into what you want? Oh, I mean, I think everybody's got opportunities to develop, but you look at. I think when you mentioned that, the one that stood out to, to me the most is like Blake Freeland, who was a quarterback in high school, and his first uh, live reps in the in the game was his true freshman year against Boise State, against a really good uh, D end. I think his Weaver was his name, right? And so I think he's got a lot of ability. But a lot of our players are, are developmental guys. Look at how many guys that we. We bring in as safeties and turn them to linebackers, or that we bring as linebackers, turn them to DNs, and and uh, you know we've a guy like Harris Lachance that he comes in and he's, he's a bean pulled off his mission, and now he's our is a big monster. You never thought that a couple of years ago he was struggling to put on weight, and so uh, I think everybody wants to play right away. That's everyone's goal, but there also has to be a goal of where we feel like they're, they're and then we can maximize their potential on the field and. And maybe that's position change, you know, or maybe it's just guys that you feel like have the great um, foundation to, to develop on. And Chris specifically was had tons of speed. We just need him more experience. And we, he, he took his, you know, he took his uh, his lumps along the way, true freshman year. And and I think he's developed into a fine player. But I think a lot of players, if you're looking on our on our depth chart, can fit that developmental uh, part. And everyone can develop. So, so Dick was asking about: Are you going to be um, having any activities uh, that that you know showcase that you also like to have fun, Kalani? So, like you, you're grateful, um, you you, in, you you disseminate this attitude of gratitude, um, and you showcase it by maybe having fun and kind of having having a good time. 
I think that's what was that right, Dick? Okay. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think, I mean, I, I think I think maybe it annoys people that when I try to have as much fun as I can with the players, but um, I, that's just me being trying to be myself, you know. And uh, I, I remember someone said, "Well, Lavelle never did that." And I, yeah, that's true, but I got to be myself. Lavelle asked me to be myself, and I think. Uh, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to be shy when it comes to the players. Want to see me dance? I'm going to do it. Just have fun with it. And I, I never said it'd be good. I just said I would do it. Right. So I, I'm willing to do a lot of things, you know. And uh, especially if it, if if my players want it and if they request it, then I'm do whatever I can to make people happy and let them know that I'm not. I'm not against making myself look like a fool sometimes if it's going to make some people smile. <laughs> There's Kalani Sataki with the media. Spring football continues at BYU. When we come back, March Madness. Big Sky style with Randy Ray and a little glimpse into not just the Big Sky tournament, but what this means for all tournaments, including the NCAA tournament. Uh, it's a different year, as Randy is about to tell you. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to hear from Randy Ray, Weber State basketball coach. Joined us later in yesterday's show with uh, all the changes, and it's been a really different year for Weber State, but also not just what they've been through, but what they're about to go through. Conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament are going to be different. Randy Ray gets into that with PK and I right now here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Randy, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? We are good. I... I was curious if you're really feeling March Madness or if in the bizarreness that is this season, you're on to the next thing. It's labeled March Madness, but everything is its own thing, and it's not really comparable to previous years. It's different. <laughs> it's it's a little different, but, um, you know, it was the weirdest year ever, obviously. Everybody knows that. It was just strange from the get-go, and it was strange all the way through, And but you know, we've gotten to play some basketball games. So what actually ended up happening compared to what could have happened, you know, where we couldn't, you know, there's a chance we wouldn't, weren't going to have a season. It's all good. It's been good. It really has. But uh, no, you know, everybody's getting ready for the conference tournaments now and, and we're getting excited. Everybody's getting excited. So it's, it's a little weirder, stranger because of all the protocols and all the things that you've got to do to stay safe. And to test negative, that's that part's really weird. So it's a little different. But bottom line is, we get to play some more games. So I guess if you define weird as losing five games in the conference that you didn't play, and then one of them minutes before, and then you have a senior day on a day you don't even have a game. If that's your definition of weird, Randy, well then you got me. <laughs> that was weird, PK. That was weird. Yeah. I mean, we ended up losing. You know, it's kind of, I'll be honest with you, our kids have done a good job, and we've been fortunate because we have not had a positive case since August. Right. Um, so we, we were lucky. Um, but, yeah, we lost four home games during conference play. 
we didn't lose our, uh, you know, we only lost one road game. So we played nine road games, which is two or three more than anybody else in our league. Yeah. We got, we got, you know, the last senior day coming up. We're excited. Seniors are excited. And about two hours before the game, I get a call from Coach Smiley at UNC, and I saw his phone number, or his name come across the phone. I said, well, this is not going to be a good phone call. <laughs> and uh, and it wasn't, and, you know, it was protocols we had to, you know, and the big sky decided it wasn't safe to play. So, But we did have senior day with no fans, pretty much our team and a few family members, and we got to celebrate that. So that was good. So, yeah, I guess – it was weird, PK. It was weird. It was different, for sure. So, you know, you try to handicap these conference tournaments and you've seen a limited number of games and you try to figure out the best teams. You try to figure out who's hot. Uh, and PK kind of referenced it here. You're 17-5, and five, which in any year, that's a good record. And you're 12-3 and three in league. And you, know, you try to throw out some of the early season stuff. And so you started 3-3. Three and three. And you played a lot of non-conference stuff on the road. I think you only had one or two home games up to that point. Um, right. So then I look, and you're like, well, they were 14-2-4. and four. 14 wins, two losses, and four canceled games. Uh, after the loss of BYU dropped you to 3-3. Three and three. But it looks like a three-team. I mean, anyone could do it. But you and Eastern Washington and SUU are all jammed up at the top of the league there. You're separated by a half a game or so. And Eastern Washington, you didn't play them. And you split the two games with SUU. So I have no idea what to expect. Can you give us any idea what to expect? I don't know if you can ever say you know what's going to happen in a conference tournament any year, to be honest with you, DJ. Um, But I do know, you know, Eastern's got a very good team. I know Southern Utah's got a very good team. You know, uh, we've had a really good season. Uh, But you get into those conference tournaments and anybody can beat anybody, but um, it looks like those three teams that, you know, have separated themselves, but then you got to look at, you know, what, what did everybody do in, in conference play? You know, some teams didn't have to play on the road very much and they played more home games. And so it's a little bit harder to handicap when it, the, the schedule has been so lopsided and so skewed and unbalanced maybe it's harder and we didn't get the chance to play Eastern and they were supposed to come to our place for two games. So it's hard to know, you know, I don't, you know, I think we got a good basketball team. We've had a really good season. They have too. How do we match up? I don't know exactly, you know, hopefully you get a chance to play them. So I think this year with, and and we're a conference that when games, we weren't allowed to make up games. A lot of conferences, they like the Pac-12 and the Mountain West. They canceled games or postponed them, and they got to make most of those up. And we weren't allowed to. So that even made it a little more difficult to kind of say who's what and who's all that. But So it is a little bit harder to say what will happen. I'm wondering, Randy, if the situation this year versus last year, you weren't good last year and you turned it around this year, if it reminds you – of uh, last time you went through this, uh, 2014-15, you weren't good, and then you came back in 15 and 16, and you just dominated. you see any similarities there? You know, a little bit, PK. Um, we had to, you know, last year we weren't good. Uh, we had to flip our roster. We brought in nine new guys, and basically we got, you know, our top six guys were all new from last year. And that's been a challenge because we've had to try to get this team on the same page and playing together and 
buying into a team and all that kind of stuff. And that took us some time to do that. But, uh, but, but it is a little bit similar in the fact that uh, we weren't quite as good. And then, you know, we got better the next year. And, and I feel that way about this year's team compared to last year's team. We're much, much better than we were last year. And, uh, you know, we just got better players. We got older. We got a lot older. You know, we took nine guys and eight of them were transfers just to become older. Yeah. Um, and it was some anxious times doing that for sure. But, but they worked out and they're really good kids and they bought into our culture and they really bought into playing for each other. You know, everybody told me, Hey, if you're going to take transfers, you know, they're going to be selfish. They're playing for themselves. They don't care about team. And a lot of that is true sometimes, but we had these kids that we brought in pretty well vetted. And then when we got them here, you know, we let them know from day one, uh, if you're here to play for your own personal agenda, you might as well leave right now because it ain't going to work. I'm not going to play. And, and, uh, and the kids really bought into it. But it took us some games to get comfortable playing together in games. In practice, you can – it's not the same. You have to play games to, you know, define who your identity is and get these kids to, to see if we move the ball and play together and, and uh, take myself out of it and just play for your teammates. You know, we got chance to be pretty good. And when they started to see that working in games, then it really clicked. And we did. We got better, and and it's ended up being a good basketball team. So you've got it looks like an eight man rotation here, and they've all played you know at least eighteen of the twenty two games, and are all playing at least fifteen minutes, right? So of those eight mm-hmm. guys, four of them shoot forty percent or better from three, and a fifth guy is at thirty nine point seven. So you didn't just take transfers, did you? You were looking for a specific skill set, and you wanted three-point shooters. And none of those guys are your leading scorer. Yeah, no, you're right. We, uh, when, we, uh, when we needed to we flip the roster last year, we're, number one thing we wanted to do was we had to get older. You know, the last couple of years before this, uh, we, uh, we've, we've had some injuries, and the injuries occurred to all of, most of our older guys, so it forced our young kids to play more. And they weren't, they weren't ready, you know. And so we ended up being younger. And so, number one thing, we wanted to get older. Uh, and the second thing is we needed to get bigger and stronger. We needed to have better shooting. And we needed some length. And we also uh, needed some guys, just, just more guys that, had, that were good, basketball, good all-around basketball players, guys that had a feel for the game. You know, smart guys that felt the game, skilled guys that could pass, shoot, and handle. And, uh, you know, we thought we did that when we recruited them, but you never know until we get them here. And then we got them here, and we, and we felt like we, we addressed those needs pretty well. And so uh, we, we, had, we had been shooting the ball really well. We are bigger, stronger. we got bigger bodies. We're older. Uh, we've got guys that have a good feel for the game, smarter guys that, that figure out the game. Uh, and so – we were looking for specific things, obviously, because last year we didn't shoot the ball well, and and we were didn't weren't big enough and strong enough and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I felt like we addressed those needs, and it worked out pretty well. So I think you get the winner, Montana, Idaho, correct? Uh, yes. And you swept Idaho, but Montana you split. Now both those games were on the road with Montana, and that that's the way it was this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, and it was, it was screwed up here. We already addressed that. 
Uh, I, and I don't know. I don't know if Montana's going to win or uh, Idaho's going to win. But how do you handicap that potential matchup? I, you know, I, on paper you would look. You know, Montana's probably you know got a good chance to win that game. Yeah. You know, and we played those guys twice up at their place. They beat us the first game, and then we beat them the second game. Um, they got a you know they got a talented team. They're they're a little bit younger than they normally are. Uh, and they've been a little bit inconsistent, but they got a talented team. Idaho's had, you know, a pretty tough season. Um, they had some new guys this year. They didn't win a lot of games. Um, so I guess on paper you think, yeah, it's probably going to be Montana, but you never know in a conference tournament, right? I mean, anything can happen. So we got to just kind of prepare a little bit this week for a little bit of both and then figure out Wednesday who we're going to play. But, uh, you know, both teams – um, you know, we played both teams on the road, um, and we swept Idaho. So, uh, you know, we got a pretty good feel for both teams. We got to play both of them twice. Uh, we kind of know what they're all about and what the matchup looks like and what we got to do to have a chance, uh, playing either one. So it's going to be, uh, it's always interesting, you know, when you got a quick turnaround, you find out Wednesday who you're going to play and then you got to get ready to play Thursday. So, but we're, you know, with COVID, you know, it does, it just doesn't matter who you're going to play. You're just thankful to be playing. We're thankful that we're having a conference tournament. We're thankful that we we've been able to play. We played 16 games in 50 days. Yeah. Uh, we played straight through for about eight weeks, and uh, and so we've been we've been at it pretty well. And so I, we've been blessed. Um, you know, there's a lot of teams that play a weekend, they cancel a weekend, they, you know, maybe two and. We've been really fortunate, and knock on wood that it stays that way. We're just excited to go play another game. Randy Ray, Weber State men's basketball coach, joining us. Have they told you what the protocol is if you get that kind of call you got you know, a couple hours before the Northern Colorado game? Are they going to delay stuff a game? Will there be forfeits? Uh, I mean, it's been dicey in the regular season, but tournaments get even more complicated. Yeah, sure does. Um, I was told yesterday that there's four teams that went to conference tournaments that when they got there, they tested positive. Uh, somebody told me that. And what I think is what's going to happen is if, if we, if somebody gets over there and they test positive, they're done. They got to leave, you know, they got to get out of there fast. Um, and so they just move on the team that they were going to play. Right. So, you know, let's say they get over there tomorrow and, and Idaho or Montana test positive. Well, they got to get out and go home, and the next team advances. And they just kind of keep moving up teams that they were supposed to play. And let's knock on wood that that doesn't happen to anybody because that would be pretty hard for anybody to take. But, but I think that's the protocol. And so, and we're testing every day. We've been test start, we started Sunday, and we're going to test every day and game day and everything. Uh, and then once we get to the tournament in the hotels, you know, you pretty much, you got to pretty much bubble it up you know you're not allowed to go many places it's going to be hotel room meeting room and then the arena and then there's nothing in between so that's what they're going to make us do which is you know what we've kind of been doing anyway to be honest with you so you've mentioned randy multiple times here in this conversation gratitude for the opportunity to play justifiably so do you think that's maybe heightened the focus and awareness of the guys now you got a more veteran team here anyway so you have some maturity but because of the situation how much has that increased that uh, focus and concentration and all the things necessary to produce a winning product out on the floor 
Well, I, th- I do think it's been important. I think it's been important to have, a, like I say, an older team as well, a more mature team. Um, you know, our guys, we we usually have some guys in the dorms when we move, you know, start school. We moved all of our guys out of the dorms. We put them in an apartment. We tried to put them as close together as possible and bubble them up. And then we, you know, we were pretty hard on them about, hey, if you want to play basketball this year, you're going to mask up. You're going to social distance. You're not going to be around people. So these kids have sacrificed their college life to play basketball. And they've given up the social aspect and obviously the aspect of being able to go to class in person. And everything's online. So they have sacrificed a lot. And I think when you have an older group, I think they handle it. They've handled it really well. And they, they're more mature about it. And, and in some ways, it's really brought our team and probably most teams closer together because that's your family. That's, that's who you're going to be with. You don't, you're not allowed to go hang out with girlfriends and buddies and all this kind of stuff as much. And it's brought teams that allow themselves. If you, you know, your team better like each other. If they don't like each other and respect each other, it's probably going to be a hard year because they're, they're going to spend a lot of time and our team really likes each other and they like being around each other. And I think it's made them even closer so that when you do get on the court, you have more of a bond and, and, uh, and these guys have, have embraced, you know, I told them before every game, Hey, let's embrace the opportunity. We get to play a game today. Gosh, dang it. There's a lot of teams that don't get to do that. So let's make the most of it and do it together and go fight for each other. And, and they've done that. And it's been fun to watch. And it's been fun to watch our team as the season's gone on, even become even more closer. Randy Ray, Weber State basketball coach, joining us with the Big Sky Tournament coming up. And Southern Utah finished a half game in front of Weber State in Eastern Washington. So there's three teams that have separated. And, you know, only one can win the tournament. Only one can qualify for the NCAA. But things happen so fast. Have they gone over the protocol of what happens to the champion? Normally you'd come home and there'd be a viewing party the next day and you'd celebrate the announcement of where you're playing and who you're playing. But with the bubble and the tournament isn't around the country, it's all in Indianapolis. Do you just have to stay in the hotel, wait for the announcement? Do you fly to Indy? How, how does that work? Yeah, we were told that uh, whoever wins the tournament on Sunday, they'll fly right to Indianapolis and get to your hotel room and kind of bubble up, you know. So there's no in-between time. Um, uh, the championship game will be played Saturday. The winner gets on a plane and they go right there. And it's just your limited travel party, right? I mean, it's it's not going to be family. Now, your family can get out there, but, it, it, you know, even at the conference tournament, if you have family coming – you don't get to see them, you know, so we're bubbling up. So, yeah, it's it's just going from one thing to the next. So whoever wins it, they just go right on Sunday to Indianapolis and sit in the hotel room and go practice and figure out when you're going to play and who you're going to play and move on. So kind of very different, right? <laughs> very different. But, hey, it's, it'd be great. <laughs> Nobody's going to complain. I don't think they will complain. I know we wouldn't complain if we're fortunate enough to, to get to that point. Well, Randy, good luck in the tournament. We'll be tracking it to see how you do, and uh, hopefully it'll work out for you. Thanks for coming on the air for a few minutes. Yeah, thanks a lot.
Guys, really appreciate you having me. Thank you. There's Randy Ray, Weber State basketball coach. When we come back, back to football, Puka Nakua, star wide receiver at Orm High, went to Washington, and now he's coming home to play for BYU with his brother Samson travel, uh, transferring from Utah to BYU. Puka joins us next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Puka Nakua, star wide receiver for the Orem Tigers. Everybody in the country is trying to recruit him. He ended up going to Washington, passing on the local schools, but now he's coming home to play for BYU. Announced on social media Monday night, uh, PK and I had him on in the last segment of the show yesterday. He volunteered to come on at 9 a.m., and he's still in Washington, so that was 8 a.m., and he's a college kid. This will shock you. He overslept. I'd like to be critical of that, but it'd be... Highly hypocritical of me, so I'll just pass on that. We're glad he joined us, and he said some interesting stuff. Is he going to be eligible right away? When did he first know he wanted to transfer back, and why? How well does he know the coaches and the players? How well does his brother? Uh, A lot of interesting stuff. Other schools that wanted him right at the end of the interview. Stay tuned for that. Puka was a little surprised who contacted him. Here's Puka Nakua with PK and I. Puka, good morning. Good morning, man. I don't know. I mean... I don't know if you guys remember, but we met a while back when I was at Orm at the some award show, and you guys gave me a, yes, a shot on, on the radio station for sure. And I totally, I mean, I have, my grandma still listens to this radio station. I haven't been out because obviously I've been out here, but <laughs> I'm excited. Puka, that was one of my on. career highlights. Was pre- that was one of my career highlights presenting you with that award. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I remember that for sure because I remember I was like, "Hey, I really listen to you guys every morning with my grandma." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we referenced it uh, earlier this morning uh, talking to you, uh, talking to you backstage because that's just a phrase that sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, we were talking backstage. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, Puka. There's a lot of interest. Obviously, there's a lot of interest in you when you were at Orem High making a lot of big plays. And you disappointed everybody by going to Washington. The Ute fans wanted you there. The Cougar fans wanted you there. Now you're coming back to BYU. Take us through this. Obviously, you didn't want to go to the Y right away, or you would have. You wanted to go to Washington. When does it occur to you, maybe I would like to go to the Y? What triggers that? Why do you start thinking that? When do you start thinking that? And where do things go? Um, honestly, just with the year that it's been, with the COVID season and stuff, uh, it was nice. It was nice to be home for the time that it was, and then coming back out with our season and stuff. And then with each conference having its own kind of rules and stuff, it was it was weird to watch some teams play a, a bunch of games and us not a good slot. And then obviously watching BYU play. I mean, Zach Wilson was my seven on seven quarterback, and I know. I mean, growing up in Provo, I know a good amount of guys on the team. So seeing like the hometown succeed, it, it was it was nice for kids to. <laughs> for people to hear about Provo and stuff like that, so it was it was definitely exciting to see them ball. But uh, some family issues. Always always want to be close to mama and grandma, so <laughs> uh, being home is there's nothing like it for sure. But it's well, watching the season that the Cougs had last year it definitely made my interest spark more and more. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. We saw Dak 
Dax Mill go for over 1,000 yards and just now is going to enter the draft. And he's a former walk-on. I don't know if you knew him. I know he's uh, buddies with Fajoko, and they're working out here, getting ready for the draft. When you saw that, how much did that play into your factor to uh, want to come to BYU? That was pretty. Too, that was pretty big too. I know Dax. Uh, we played against each other in high school too when he was at Bingham. Uh, but it was it was pretty cool to see his success story and his grind and be able to watch him succeed. And then just another. It's just it was light. <laughs> it was light at the tone, knowing that it's, it's possible to be done. And I would, like there, the future is bright for the Cougs, <laughs> and they're getting ready to throw the ball. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm curious, did you tell Samson, hey, I'm thinking about this, how about you do it too? Or was he the one who said, hey, I'm thinking about this, why don't you do it? It seems unlikely to me that you both came to this conclusion independently and were surprised to find the other guy showing up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we did. it wasn't the plan when uh, he got in the portal, but it, as things kind of slowly progressed and it kind of it seemed like the opportunity presented itself for us to play together, which I I avoided in high school by going to Orem, so I I couldn't miss out on this chance again to play with him. It was definitely a once in a lifetime opportunity, and I knew Mama would be happy to wear the same jersey for once. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, how much do you know Aaron Roderick? He's going to be calling the plays, obviously, for BYU. Um, a little bit. Sam, Sam was the Sam was the plug for that one. He, uh, Coach Roderick was there when Sam was at Utah, and he built yeah. a good relationship and really liked him. So, Sam, Sam was that one. And I know Coach uh, Fessy. He was there recruiting me uh, in high school, and uh, I mean, I was in their backyard pretty much. So I, I was around a lot. So, I'm excited to be home and kind of get back into a groove. <laughs> You know, we have talked a lot about the number of high-level Utah high school uh, players who have left the state, and whether it's Oregon and Washington or USC or Stanford, in some cases Alabama and LSU, you were one of the guys who felt the pull to go out of state and, and, and prove yourself and show what you can do. What, what is that? Uh, you've kind of gone into why it's not so important to you so much anymore, but, but what is it that 17- and 18-year-olds want to do that? Um, I think for me, growing, uh, like living in Vegas and then growing up in Utah, is I'd seen a different lifestyle, and I th- I felt like I wanted to get away from home to grow up and kind of be on my own and experience, I guess, college in a different way. But <laughs> I, I'm glad I was able to achieve that. But there's nothing like being home and family is always being there. Like the experience and the relationships I made out here in Seattle will last me a lifetime, and I'm forever grateful for them. But I'm excited to be home and spend time with my family and just to be home. There's nothing like home for sure. <laughs> uh, do you know, will you be eligible next season or are you going to have to redshirt? Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that as of right now. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So it doesn't matter to you though, all the other things, the poll, if, if you end up, I'm sure you'd rather not redshirt, but if you end up having a red shirt, you're good with that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's definitely not the plan, but uh, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind it. <laughs> I'll, I'll be home, so I, I'm excited for the future, and I just can't wait. <laughs> I'm ready to, I'm ready to come home for sure. <laughs> Do you know the quarterbacks at all that you'll uh, that are competing for BYU's job right now? Um, a little bit. I know, I know J- uh, Jared and uh, Jacob. 
I played it with Jacob Conover and the Pondies and Bo together, and we actually played some basketball when I was back home early in January. But uh, those are the two quarterbacks I know, and I know they got a, the the Romney brother competing as well. So I know spring yeah. ball is pretty intense right now for them. <laughs> so I'm excited to to learn and to watch everybody, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to get into it. <laughs> So how have you grown or changed as a receiver over these couple of years? Uh, physically, I, I mean, in high school, I wasn't the biggest lifter. <laughs> I was really worried more about the field work. I was like, I figured if I could work really hard at the field, even if you could hit me pretty hard, I, I'd manage to work around it. <laughs> but definitely got a lot stronger. Uh, in high school, I was probably around 195 pounds. And I think around last season, I was playing around 210 pounds around the biggest I've ever been, but also I felt the strongest and fastest. Um, and I can't thank my position coach out here, Coach Adams, a lot. More on the X's and O's side, just truly understanding defenses, alignments, um, coverages, seeing what making the defense so much easier for me to understand and to be able to walk out on the field and be prepared and know what the defense is getting ready to give us so I can execute my game plan and our game plan as effectively as possible. So they're having spring ball now. You obviously aren't going to be there for spring ball. When do you think you will be around the program to work out with the guys, and when will you be officially enrolled in school? Um, I believe the summertime. Yeah, I know, yeah, because they're in spring ball right now, so the summertime would be the most free and the most grind time, the most exciting time, honestly. <laughs> just to be around everybody and kind of get back into the groove of playing football and get to know all the guys and stuff and just get to work. I know everybody's excited. And BYU's had this this chip on his shoulder always for a while, but I know last last season kind of put them on the map and let people know that they're ready. They, they really do want it all, and I'm ready to uphold that and to fight with my boys. <laughs> So one thing when you go to a school like Washington, any Pac-12 school, they'll tell you, hey, come here, we're going to do something special, we're going to go to the Rose Bowl, why would you go to BYU? They can't do that. Is there any uh, any part of you that's think, hey, I'm giving this up, or uh, the pull-at-home is so strong you just don't care? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the pull-at-home is way is too strong. I, I, I really did enjoy and I was blessed to be out here to be at the University of Washington, but... I'm I'm 100% confident in the, in the power and the skill at BYU to get the job done. And I know, I mean, we played some good teams this year already, so it's going to be interesting to see how. I'm just excited for people to see what, what what's in store. I'm wondering, as far as Samson uh, going to BYU, was it a package deal, meaning that if you decided to stay at Washington, he still would have gone to BYU? Or if he would have gone someplace else, you would have still decided to go to BYU. Was that the situation, or was it all or nothing as far as that goes? Um, yeah, we we were kind of coming in as a package deal. Like I said before, I mean, I, I went the opposite way in high school of playing with him. So when he got in the portal and we started talking, I mean, I knew that stuff like this doesn't always happen so I knew I didn't want to miss out on the opportunity to play with him again so I think the the, the plan was for sure for us to go together wherever we were going to go okay okay so the portal is a relatively new thing there's a lot of stuff uh you know PK and I can kind of 
figure out how it's going to work because we've seen it work before. I'm curious, when you go into the portal, do you not go in until you pretty well know how things are going to work out? Or did you go into the portal holding your breath thinking, I'm kind of burning this bridge behind me with Washington. I'm not sure what's out there, but I'm going to roll the dice. How was that? Um, well, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a little bit of both, honestly. It was, it's kind of scary. And then, um, and then when I got into the portal, um, thinking of the schools that I had in mind, just wondering if they're available or what is their, what are their scholarships looking like or the receiver room as well. And then also like more schools than I, I thought would honestly hit me up, uh, contacted me and then it, it shifted my mind a little bit, but uh, I, I mean, after being able to talk with my family and uh, some of these coaches, I, I felt right. I felt right with my decision. <laughs> so you talk about your family, and obviously you got a close knit family. One of those family members is an older brother, Kai, who's in the NFL. Obviously played at BYU. How much did you seek counsel from him? <laughs> um, a lot, honestly. He was probably one of our main calls. <laughs> uh, just going through the process that he has in the NFL and obviously going to BYU, uh, he just wants us to succeed and to be able to be part of the journey that he's been on and going to the NFL. And it's always, I mean, it's a blessing to have that perspective and those eyes and ears around us. So it was, I'm grateful for him and the brother and the leadership he shows us. But yeah, he, he was a big part of it. And I know he's probably excited, but I was maybe, I was letting him know that they're not about to retire that 12 because I need it. <laughs> <laughs> that's part of the deal huh you got to have the 12 yeah <laughs> so i'm i'm curious you said some other schools hit you up how many schools hit you up and uh how big time were they who who was after you um i probably, i think i had around 15 or 20 schools um schools from the big 12 uh Penn State, I mean, most of the schools in the Pac-12, um, some smaller schools, everybody's always kind of wonder if it's like about grades. <laughs> some smaller schools like Louisiana, like Lafayette, were like, are your grades good? Like, can we get you here? Some stuff like that. So it's, it's a lot of schools, a lot of smaller schools, but some schools out on the East Coast that, I mean, I didn't even, I'd never even come to, in contact with in high school. Well, Puka, you got a lot of BYU fans excited, that is for sure. And now they can't wait to hear, uh, you know, if you're redshirting, if you're going to be eligible right away. So uh, as soon as you know, let us know, because, you know, we hung out with you backstage, dude. I will do. All right. Puka, it's good to hear from you, and uh, we're excited to see what you can do. As always, uh, I'm not, we were watching you, Washington, too, so we were excited to see what you do wherever you were. But uh, it always means a little more when you're a little closer to home. Puka, thanks a lot. We appreciate a few minutes. Yep, you guys have a good one. There's Puka Nakua, future BYU receiver. But will he be eligible or will he redshirt? Still to be determined, according to Puka. When we come back, what we know for sure is we'll do what is trending, and we'll talk about all the basketball, including the West Coast Conference title game, BYU and Gonzaga. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag college basketball. 
Corey defended by Loner gets a screen from Timmy dribbles the top of the key pulls up for one more and he's got another one Corey Kispert fired up pumping his fist he's hit three early in the half of the Bulldogs cut the lead to 55-52 Suggs off Timmy screen drives shot up high off the glass and in beautiful touch from the freshman Gonzaga right back on top by two Nemhart dribbles to the free throw line cut off there pass right side Suggs he catches and shoots the three is good all net for the freshman a huge one for Jalen he's got 20 BYU, big lead over Gonzaga, up 12 at the half, but outscored 11-2 in the first two and a half minutes of the second half. And then in the last four minutes, Gonzaga went on another run, and they win the game 88-78. They end up winning the second half 47-25, even though BYU played them even for, I don't know, probably about 13 minutes there in the middle of the second half. Gonzaga gets it done, PK. They are 26-0. Once they started uh, defending, getting engaged, they they took over. Well, Kispert there with the threes, he took the pressure off because it was a ball game before the first media timeout, which comes four minutes into the second half. So they were able to relax. And then Suggs is a player that they've never had in the program since Mark Few has been there. I think it's like 22nd, maybe 23rd year during which they've made the NCAA tournament every single season. They've had plenty of wing guys and big guys, and uh, Wilcher and Adam Morrison, as far as guys who can hit threes and be wings and big guys and and a whole bunch of dudes, uh, Sabonis and Sacre, and the list goes on there, guys who have played in the NBA, Terry Off. But they haven't had a guy like Suggs. He's a premier player and out of Minnesota. Player of the year in football and basketball, and he's going to be a high pick top five, I would assume, this year. Uh, and so he made the difference over the rest of the half. And then the defense was locked in, and BYU felt the pressure, and they ended up losing. Weird, I thought they played a good game and lost, and they played a bad game and won. But that's the WCC tournament for you, and the level of competition varies wildly. So now BYU waits for Selection Sunday to find out where they're going to be seated, who they're going to be playing. We lose the where are you going question. Everybody's going to Indy. So that one we know, but... Where are you going? Indianapolis. Indianapolis, right. Uh, the Utes open playing the Pac-12 tournament today. They are playing Washington, 5 o'clock. That game's on the Pac-12 network. Utah's 11-12, and 12, and they're the 7th seed, and Washington's the 10th seed at 5-20. and 20. They've won five games all year, PK. One of them is against the Utes. There's no reason they should be taking two out of three from Utah. Utah to be getting this game and getting back to 500 and getting into the quarterfinals. Yeah, they should be playing SC tomorrow. That would be this is they've had some bad losses. This would be the worst one by far, and it's not even close. Couple things. <laughs> All right, that game today, five o'clock. DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Three-point line. Ilya Silva shoots it again. Good again. Ersan. Ilya Silva. 36-31 bucks. Do you think David Locke is going to sing Ersan Ilya Silva's name? Not much. Because he's not going to play much or because David's going to be able to refrain from singing? Uh, I don't know what Locke's going to do, but I don't really see this being a big uh, 
Earthshaker uh, edition. And I'd heard about it a couple uh, days ago. Forgot to bring it up, but uh, somebody had it out there. But they had to add someone, and he's a veteran. I think it's more of, I don't know this, but I think it's more of an insurance. I mean, who, who are you taking out of the rotation? Yeah, I don't really see it. The rotation's been going too well. But insurance, because someone could get hurt. Yeah. Have an extra body. I mean, he's a veteran, and you get some you get some experience. Somebody who's played 800 games, and he's in his 30s now, so hopefully he can hit a yeah, shot, defend a little bit. He's a long guy, so if you got to plug have any somebody in, move. yeah, if you got to well, plug yeah, somebody in, Oni's been playing. He's been the tenth guy, mm-hmm. and so now I assume that it will be Ely Silver would be the tenth guy. Miami Heat center Myers Leonard is away from the team indefinitely. The Heat. Organization in a statement said while the NBA conducts an investigation into his use of an anti-Semitic slur during a recent video game live stream, he condemned his comments. Leonard issued a statement apologizing for his use of the slur surfaced yesterday on social media. So I guess I'm wondering what they're investigating because it's a video game live stream and, and they can see and hear what he said. I guess it's to find out if he's said and said this in other situations and this is a repeated issue or whether it's a one-off i don't know what else they'd be investigating oh you got the one-off early this morning yeah, usually it goes so. a little later in the show before you get the no no i'm like after <laughs> after you did the uh, by far and then i dropped the uh, a couple things i figured we just need to get them all out of the way <laughs> a one-time deal instead of one-off how about that A federal judge in California has ruled that Kobe Bryant's widow, Vanessa, can obtain the names of four L.A. County sheriff's deputies who allegedly shared graphic photos from the site of the helicopter crash that killed her husband, their daughter, and seven others. The ruling means the names and details from an internal affairs investigation of the deputies can be added to her lawsuit against the county and the sheriff's department. The county can appeal the decision. And Paul Pierce, Chris Bosch, Chris Weber, Michael Cooper, Lauren Jackson, Ben Wallace... All, uh, Yolanda Griffith, all among the finalists for the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame class. Class set to be inducted in Springfield, Massachusetts in September. The 2020 enshrinement ceremony uh, was rescheduled and relocated. It's set for mid-May with Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, and Kevin Garnett. I don't see any names of the level of that trio in this group. Nonetheless, we could have some Hall of Famers out there, especially... uh, because it isn't the NBA Hall of Fame, it's the Basketball Hall of Fame. So other stuff you did, Chris Weber for his college exploits, that's an extra stuff on it, or extra thing on his resume. Michael Cooper for winning WNBA titles. You got any favorites in this class you want to see in PK? Uh, this one? No, I don't I don't know what the criteria is. It's not anything I could put my hands around. If the other one has been relocated, where is it going to be? I don't know that. The Mohegan Sun <coughs> out there in Connecticut is where they're going to do it in okay. May. What's wrong with uh, Springfield, Massachusetts? I don't in September. know. It's right down the road, it feels like, but okay. Uh, it may just be the building. The facility isn't that big, and so if you're looking for that's social distancing, that's the only thing I can think of. Uh, you kind of be crowded together at the Naismith facility there. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. We're confident and committed to trying to get a long-term deal done, and hopefully we can get that done at some point, you know, in the near future. It may take a little time, but we're willing to try. Ravens GM Eric DaCosta says he hopes to get a long-term deal done with Lamar Jackson, comma, especially now that I've seen how much money Dallas just forked over. 
Let's do this, Baltimore. Write me a check. And I assume they will. The question is 30 million, 35, 40, how much is it going to be? Assume that will get done. The deadline to franchise tag, uh, franchise tag players was yesterday. Former Utah standout Marcus Williams was tagged by the Saints. Notable players who were not tagged and will enter free agency include Chris Carson, the Seahawks running back. Had a foot injury that kind of sidelined him for a chunk of this season. Aaron Jones, Green Bay Packers running back. And Kenny Galladay, wide receiver for the Lions. So, see how those guys fare in free agency. Tampa Bay Buccaneers opted to tag wide receiver Chris Godwin and allow pass rusher Shaquille Barrett to explore free agency with hopes of bringing him back as they try to repeat as Super Bowl champs. The team did re-up longtime standout linebacker Levante David on a two-year $25 million deal, making good on a promise after head coach Brooks Arians told him, quote, your ass isn't going anywhere. Close quote. That's what he did all the time on the radio in Arizona, right, PK? Always quotable. Always popping off. Ready to go. He was. He was beloved because he always had something uh, sort of not out of bounds, spicy. not off the cuff. But, yeah, yeah spicy. That's a good word. Sure, yeah. It was an entertaining interview. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Kansas AD Jeff Long said he and the university were unaware of any wrongdoing in Let's Miles past before hiring him as head coach of the football team in 2018. Long told reporters, I asked Coach Miles directly during the interview process whether there was anything in his past that could potentially embarrass the university or himself or our program, and he said no. We also did our due diligence by talking to individuals within the LSU Athletics Department to see if there's anything we should be aware of, and we received no indication of any issues. Don't blame me. Sure, it blew up. And we're Kansas football, and we're going backwards again. Don't blame me. Yeah, it does sound like a CYA by Jeff Long. Michigan's AD says he has not given the football coach a minimum win requirement for the 2021 season, and he's willing to think long-term about his employment. Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines went 2-4 and four in their abbreviated 2020 season last fall. PK, this goes to the point that you've been repeating over and over 2020 was a one-up, I mean a one-shot deal. And you can't judge people on that. However, Harbaugh's not beating Michigan State enough. He's not beating Ohio State at all. And he's got to win a Big Ten championship. The playoff and all the other stuff down the road, but those things, beat, beating rivals and winning the conference, that's that's got to get checked off the list here at some point. Yeah, that sounds fair. Both Ohio State and Duke have paused team activities, upticks in positive COVID-19 tests within each program. Uh, Buckeyes are pausing spring ball for a week. Blue Devils say they have 10 positive cases, pause spring ball. Until they get things under control. There are three practices in so far. So, DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Washington Nationals pitcher Steven Strasburg made his spring training debut after undergoing carpal tunnel surgery, and he struck out four of the six batters he faced against the Astros. Strasburg made just two starts and went only five innings in 2020 as his fastball command faltered. He's had some injuries. He's had some medical procedures. He's always bounced back from and ended up being good. He doesn't. He's not the kind of guy who's going to rattle off four years in a row because something's going to go wrong, PK, but you figure he's going to bounce back this time, striking out four or six. That's pretty strong. 
Yeah, well, I hope for his case because then they could be pretty doggone good with him and Scherzer and Corbin and those guys at the top of the rotation. And I would suspect that they would have a bounce back season. It's hard for me to judge them based on last season. I think they sort of threw in the towel there yeah. uh, under the circumstances. So if he comes back, uh, he could be a premier pitcher. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Time to welcome in Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic. If you've been struggling with ED, Wasatch Medical Clinic joins us with a breakthrough treatment that does not involve a pill, injections, or surgery. And Andrew... I have read this before. We have spoken to you before. Nonetheless, every time I read the word injections, I flinch a little bit. I'm not going to kid you. <laughs> yes. And here's what happens, at least what I've seen, is if a man struggles with ED, he starts with the pill. It works, kind of. Uh, he has to take a little more, a little more. Body builds up tolerance. Eventually, it stops working. Then he goes to the injections. Uh, significant downsides with the injections. Uh, so this is kind of a vicious cycle. I am surprised that treatment of erectile dysfunction has not advanced until just a few years ago. It was pills and injections. The FDA registered acoustic wave therapy, I think in 2011, to regrow blood vessels and repair soft tissue. Uh, exactly what a guy with ED needs. That is what Wasatch Medical Clinic does. It uses this technology and pulsating waves to open up and regrow the blood vessels more circulation, uh, where you want it, when you want it. We have helped a lot of guys either improve in the bedroom, get rid of their ED, get rid of their pills, or all of the above. So what kind of patient results are you hearing about? Uh, Well, I think it starts with skepticism usually and ends with a breath of fresh air to not have to take the pill anymore. We've treated thousands of men. This isn't just something for guys in their 90s. We see men in their 20s, 30s, and 40s every day. So the success rate has been high. You got special offers. You always have special offers. What's your offer today? Yeah, we really uh, want to deliver a lot of value, whether uh, men do the treatments or not, frankly. Uh, Give us a call right now. We are open this early. We'll do the assessment, the exam. Uh, We'll conduct a blood flow ultrasound. Really cool um, with our medical doctor, no charge. Uh, We have a little enhanced gift that you'll love. It produces immediate results in the bedroom, and new patients even get free testosterone right now. So it's a significant value. It's the first step in reversing your erectile dysfunction, and it's all free. Guys, you can put a stop to your ED. Call Wasatch Medical right now to claim Andrew's offer, 801-901-8000. The phone number is 801-901-8000. You can call 801-901-8000. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, guys. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes Your Toast brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Cadillac owners may have changed, but luxury has not. Come see the bold new lineup of Cadillac at Jerry Seiner Cadillac. 
today. All right, question of the day. BYU, double-digit lead on Gonzaga at the half. Still a tie game with four minutes left. A winnable game there for the taking, and it turned out that it was Gonzaga that took it. So, question of the day. Gallant effort by BYU, or a second-half gag. PK? What? It was more a gallant effort than a gag. There were mistakes. And I think the easiest ones to identify offensively, miss some gimmies inside. You're 7'3", you're inside of five feet. There are two or three of those buckets that should have gone down. And they made some mistakes on defense, going under on screens, that kind of stuff. But Gonzaga's way more talented. I thought this was, this was less about BYU blowing it and more about Gonzaga deciding not to blow it. That first half by them was bad. But the second half, that was... That was Gonzaga being loaded, and that's why they're undefeated number one and expected to be back in a Final Four. Yeah, I don't think the first half by Gonzaga was bad. I think it was outrageous shooting by the Cougars. Uh, Nell got hot, had the game of his life. It's the best game he's played to date in college. And so a bunch of threes go down. The confidence gets going, yep. and it becomes contagious throughout the team. They play loose. Kispert changed all that early in the second half by making those threes, and he's a really good shooter. He's a player of the year candidate. The I got my wooden award at the voting starts here in five days, and they got three guys on the list. Uh, that's very unusual to have that many guys, but that's how many they have. So they got going, they got rolling, and Harms, you didn't mention his name, man. Sometimes he plays so soft. Let's call it like it is. Let's have real talk. I mean, go up and be aggressive. You're a really good free throw shooter. You're shooting about 80%. Try to get fouled. It seems like he shies away. When they needed buckets, uh, he had opportunity. And it, it just seems like he wants to do a fadeaway hook shot or something and appears to have a, a hesitancy as far as contact because they could have used him at the free throw line. And, and he shoots so well there that they could have uh, got some easy points that way. And then they just got smothered by Gonzaga's reputation. And I think they realized we're us and they're them. Gonzaga, I thought, really bothered the guards by extending the defense well beyond the three-point line. Those shots that were there that they made weren't really even there for the taking very often in the second half. And I think Harms, I think it comes down to upper body strength. And if you can get physical with him inside, he's going to look to flip the ball up off the, and, and hope it goes in, flip it off the glass. And it did a few times. Um, but you're right. That's not going to get, it's not going to draw contact very often. It's not going to get you to the line. And the thought of just going strong right at the rim, I think he thinks he's not going to get there. And I think it comes down to upper, I think it starts with upper body strength and the lack of it. And so he ended up, to your point, he ended up not even shooting a free throw in the game. Like you didn't I need think it 10, starts with his mind. Ten free throws out of him. Wow. He doesn't believe he's got the strength. Yeah. I think it's mental rather than physical. Well, I think he's right. I think he actually doesn't have it. But either way, it wasn't there when they needed it. The people. Uh, I don't know. that. Uh, who At 7-3, who has it? It's a hard thing to have. Leverage and all that stuff, I suppose. Scott says, well, there's a reason Gonzaga hasn't lost all season. That was a tough effort, though. Tim says, choke job. You can't go under the screen on these guys. That's a true story. That's giving a three-point shooter a green light. They're going to take it. 
Brian says chalk it up to a gallon effort. But when Gonzaga became interested, the game was over. Uh, well, we're, we were going to hear that if BYU should have pulled it off, that Gonzaga really didn't care. Bull crap. Yeah, but because they cared, BYU wasn't going to pull it off. It was clear. Well, why wouldn't they care? Right. That was never an issue. No, we don't want to win played, the conference they, title. <laughs> they played pretty lax in the first 20 minutes. It's because they didn't care. So Trevin Nell, it was because I don't know that be, they didn't care. didn't care. I think it's it's more that they didn't know this level was going to be required. And then once they realized, oh, we got to we got to go we got to ratchet it up a couple notches and get to this level to do it, well then we'll do it. Because they do care. It certainly came out like they cared in the first two and a half minutes. Not only did they get uh, Kispert going, and he hit the big threes, but they were mostly getting stops at the other end. There was two points for BYU in that stretch. Yeah, they felt the pressure, and they did dial the Gonzaga dialed up the defense. There's no doubt about that. David said it was both. It was a gallon effort, and it was a gag. A gallon effort until they gagged. Gallon, 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 gag. Gag, gag. A gallon gag. Why is Gonzaga so much better than everybody else, particularly BYU, because that's all that really matters to BYU. I mean, I know why they're better than everybody else in the conference, because the rest of the conference, maybe with the exception of St. Mary's, couldn't care less about basketball. They just have it because you're supposed to have it, but they have no intent on doing anything that's going to make them any form of competitive Certainly not on a national level and not even really on a regional level. Occasionally they might get a guy, Steve Nash, who falls through the cracks. But other than that, they're just out there running around just because it's something to do, I guess. Uh, But why are they so much better than BYU? Well, the easy answer is talent. I mean, back to your point about how many NBA guys they've got, how many Wooden Award finalists they've got. Uh, and why do they have so much talent? Well, then that goes than BYU. that goes to few, and I think the amazing thing about few is lots of coaches have had good runs, but he has lost. He has never lost his edge, and sometimes you get a little burned out. It gets to be too much. I mean, maybe there's something else going on in your life, um, or you figure it out when you're older. So you just get to the point where you're done and you want to retire. And he's never done any of those things. Doesn't ever seem to lose his edge. I mean, some teams are a little better and some teams aren't quite as good, but it doesn't seem like there's that wide a variation in I mean, you were in the last segment you were listing all the NBA guys who've come through there. Is did he ever ever stop recruiting? Did BYU ever stop recruiting? <sighs> yeah, it's uh, it's always going to be a different deal at BYU. I mean, BYU changed their recruiting philosophy with a new coaching staff. They've had during Fuse run, they've had three different head coaches. And they've all recruited a little differently. And I think if we had Tim Lacombe on, he would say, well, the rules have changed a little bit. We're going to have Tim Lacombe on. Yeah, so we can ask him at (laughs) 8.05 about, why didn't you have this many transfers? You know, so they changed the recruiting philosophy and they changed the guys who are doing it. And with Gonzaga, the consistency is amazing. It certainly is amazing. There's no question about that. Literally having made the tournament every single year, under Mark Few, and now you are a true national program for sure with the opportunity to win six more ball games this year. I wonder if BYU is allowed to do it. That's what's going to be interesting here. 
as Mark Pope continues to move away from the LDS kid and the LDS returned missionary, how's that going to be accepted? Now, there hasn't been any honor code violations yet or any of that stuff, but how's that going to be going forward? Steve Cleveland comes in, and this is real talk, and this is an, and, and you can take shots at me, that's fine, but this is what I've been told, and I've had in-depth conversations about this with people, is that when they go from Roger Reed to uh, Steve Cleveland, Steve Cleveland brings in guys, and they were Fresno guys, and they're tatted up, and they don't look like the typical BYU guy, right? And even Arujo's tats made a big deal. And I know we shouldn't be talking about that and judging people, blah, blah, blah. And, but the whole well, airbrushing thing was a fire, big deal just at the time. Come at me as much as you want and blame it all on me because that's what I'm here for. But I can tell you that absolutely was a big, big deal. And Pope is going down that road and moving away from the historical BYU player. And Cleveland took some grief right off the bat about it. I mean, his pro, the program was in absolute shambles. We've talked to him about that many, many times. And how, how he had to go the JC route, which was the route to go at the time, to get competitive and get competitive quickly. Right? And so how was it received by BYU folks? Uh, it was... Interesting time. Those were interesting times. And how is it? Croton tried to do it too, and it blew up in his face. You know, they had all sorts of problems there. So it doesn't have to be to where you have problems by any stretch. You can bring in guys and they can adhere to the rules or know how to negotiate the rules and not get caught, or whatever it might be. And you know, uh, there's there's even some stuff I'm really hesitant to say, even though it's been 25 years <laughs> on the radio of uh, what uh, conversations were like. So, what is uh, what is expected at BYU? That's going to be the interesting thing to allow them to try to compete with Gonzaga, because Gonzaga clearly does have superior talent. There's just no question. You know, they put. They haven't really had, so I guess Sabonis is somewhat of a star. He's made multiple all-star games. This Suggs looks like he's got NBA stardom written all over him because he's got the size, and he's, he's he looks like he has all the skills necessary to be a big-time player, and I believe he'll be a top-five pick coming up if he should come out this year in the NBA. Uh, so they, they, they've got the talent. And the BYU – you know, for a while there, it was uh, the Utah County kids, and they were going to get you more than a multiple Sweet Six teams, except they weren't. <laughs> they weren't going to even get close. <laughs> I think only Mika played in the NCAA tournament, and that was as a freshman. Uh, and I think the other two didn't, unless I'm wrong. I don't, but I don't think I'm wrong. I don't think Haas was going to play last year, but of course the tournament got canceled. Yeah, and his brother played in the tournament. Yes, he did. Uh, so they they had that going on, and, and, and sometimes those Utah County kids are decent, and Collinsworth and Brandon Davies were decent. So, uh, But that was the majority of their recruiting was in their backyard, basically. And it got them to a, a decent level, and then they struck gold with Jimmer. And Jackson Emery was a very good player. So it's not like they uh, 
couldn't be successful with those types of kids, but they didn't branch out. Mark Pope seems intent on branching out. Now, maybe part of it is that there isn't the talent. The, the, the players that were coming out of the county, there were there's some very good players. There's no um, Collinsworth and uh, uh, Davies actually had some run in the NBA. So, obviously, that's very good, and you want to get those kids. Uh, but it'll be interesting so, to see how so Mark the, Pope continues to go about building his roster. So the question is, will there be elite local talent that he gets? Because you can't have elite local talent like Frank Jackson who leaves the state and goes off to Duke. Um, you got to have the elite talent. You can't lose it to Utah. You can't lose it out of state. You have to get it and then combine it with all these transfers. But what if there is an elite local talent and it's nonstop transfers? Is that okay as long as they're winning and there's no – you can't have any of the Croton stuff, obviously. I mean, you can't go down that road. That will wreck everything. That, that'll be the end of that. To the, to the BYU basic fan, yes, absolutely. That would be 100% correct. I'm wondering to some other folks, that's 100% acceptable. They don't, the BYU sports fan, the true blue sports fan, couldn't care less. Just don't embarrass us. That's all they ask for. They don't even care if the head coach is LDS. That's a BYU rule that I don't think the average fan really concerns himself about and is not concerned about tats and is not concerned about hair and these types of things that just doesn't matter to them. But there's a segment that the, I don't know how to phrase it. What would, what would that be? The ones that have made their voices known to the coaches and then it gets back to me. I've told the story of a prominent player 20 minutes before kickoff a couple years ago. They had to go tell him to shave. Yeah. Yeah, you have told that. Yeah. Now you, that you can criticize me all you want, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, but our, our listeners are starting to go this way too. There's uh, one of the comments here on the question of the day: gallant effort by BYU or second half gag? And somebody uh, veered over to what they want to talk about, which is uh, when did Mohawks? Oh, here it is, Jacob. Since when does BYU allow Mohawks? Is that too extreme on the hair? Now Howard, Howard's tatted up. He's one of your own, and he's got the mohawk and the tats. Return missionary, <laughs> See? no less. That, hence, one of your own, yeah. And that that is going to draw notice, minimum, and then with beyond the notice, for some, not all, I mean, not for me, I don't give a crap, but for some, it's going <laughs> to be uh, criticism. So With you're that. referring to it's either school administration or church leadership. And I realize sometimes church leadership is school administration. Uh, but Just the, no, the general fan who makes his or her voice known is what it's going to be. There was a phone call placed to a BYU football player not even two years ago about his hair being too long during a game and then posted on social media the next week. I'm having to get a haircut because of somebody calling in to the football. Yeah. What, what is this, the PGA Tour? What are we doing here? Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's – what, it goes what back, have we been doing here for, for yeah. decades? It goes back to exactly what you're talking about here, PK. It's the this same is thing. what I've heard from folks involved in athletics. And, and if, if a basketball player is caught saying a swear word or it's audible, boom, there's some type of response. You know, and we can stereotype it. The, the knitting lady fan. 
you know, that's sort of a running gag, or it was a running gag, uh, that that's the person. So is BYU going to ever be able to get away from that? Because I think that's what it's going to take to be competitive mm-hmm. with Gonzaga. That's, that's the, what you're going to need. You're going to need that. Aren't you going to need more than that? Is that alone going to guarantee BYU having at least two and maybe three or four NBA guys on the roster? There's no that's, guarantees in life if that's what you're looking that's for. A, that's a pretty big ask. And I get that what you're talking about, if, if that stuff's going to be an issue, then they're never going to get to two, three, or four NBA guys at a time, year after year. But that's what it takes to compete with Gonzaga right now. I mean, the other thing it takes is Mark Few finally retires. And can anyone else do what he's doing? Can this be sustained? Is there going to be, you know, is he going to groom an heir apparent who's going to continue this on? Well, he's not going anywhere for any anytime soon, so you'll be long off the air. Yeah, <laughs> he's he still retires, too young. So it's not going to matter to me. Uh, we won't, I won't be talking about it, at least not for a paycheck. Uh, so that's that's not even an equation right now. It's not even in his mindset, as f- from what I understand. Uh, so that's what BYU has to figure out. How much freedom are they going to allow Mark Pope? to go and get to bring in guys that don't fit the BYU mold. And then you have to hope that there's some great talent out there. And there has been some really good talent. I mean, Majerus built the program uh, in good part on the strong LDS talent. That's for sure. And he was cleaning up at the time. And those guys... I'm not sure if they're not out there or, or what the deal is, if it's not if the talent hasn't been quite as good for them to scoop up. Shut the F up! <laughs> that one did not draw as much backlash as I thought it might. Uh yeah, but well right, but look who's saying it. Exactly. One of our own. Yeah. I get that. One of one of our own who goes back thirty years in the program, His dad, and they all checked brother. off all the stuff yeah. you're supposed to do. Yeah, but and he also didn't officially swear. You know, if that would have been somebody who wasn't one of our own, would there have been more grief? Shut the f up. <laughs> I mean, there was grief when uh, em- uh, Nick Emery said. Uh, what was it? Uh, we beat you. Sit beat your ass, your ass down. Or sit what was down. that? Well, somebody got that one, and there was grief on that one. Especially, uh, you know, on, with the uh, former family members. Boy, that that was a big brouhaha. Obviously. Yeah, we beat your ass. Sit down. Oh, Jamal Aids. Oh. All right, hit us up on Twitter, David DJ James, Facebook DJ and PK. Can BYU do everything it's going to take to catch a national power? The easy answer is no, PK. I stunned him into silence, or the connection dropped at a perfect time for me to apparently have stunned him into silence. Because stunning PK into silence isn't something that happens very often.
All right, we'll get PK back. The question is, can BYU do it? Can they track Gonzaga down? And I think the easy answer is no. Because is there going to be enough local talent? And if Mark Pope gets it going, is he going to stay? I mean, few didn't get it going to this level right away. You know, he got it going, built on the reputation, and then got it going to a higher level and built on that reputation. And, you know, can you, can you go from zero to 60, or have you got to build it? And while you're building it, is someone else going to come and lure you away? I mean, why don't mid-majors sustain stuff? Well, programs that have been really good, and Butler is in multiple Final Fours, but they lost a coach to the NBA, and then they couldn't sustain it. <clears throat> Stevens, Brad Stevens went to Boston. You know, few has stayed, and that is, Gonzaga is very fortunate. <laughs> they're just, they're very fortunate. I think in another era, that's what people said about BYU with Lavelle Edwards. He stayed, BYU was really fortunate. You know, the person just has to want to. How much can the institution do to keep somebody there? All right, we'll get to more of this coming up. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Tim LaCombe. What type of Mike Conley are we going to get now to finish the season after getting his first all-star bid and having kind of the start to the season that he's had? He's a guy who's been undersold a lot in his career. I mean, you look at the numbers, and the numbers are so impressive over his entire career. You know, he's joined the Jazz. You know, he had a difficult time transitioning to a new place and a new system. So, like, I think what we're seeing and what we're going to see in the second half is just more Mike Conley, which to me is toughness, grit, determination, and a whole lot of understanding of who he is. I think he lives for the big moment. I'm telling you, on a national stage when, you know, kind of an uninvited guest, and he showed up and darn near stole the three-point contest. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision is giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. All right, the question, what can BYU do? What have they done? What do they continue to need to do if they're ever going to get to where Gonzaga is? And... That can mean in one year, like this year, when BYU or when Gonzaga looks like they've got a Final Four team again, which would be their second Final Four team in five years. And somebody in Gonzaga would probably raise their hand and say, and we could have done it last year if there had been a tourney. So second in the last four tournaments, if you want to go with that. Uh, But it's something they've done over time, too, PK. This is 10 Sweet 16s in 21 years. Uh, You know, would they have made it last year? Probably. Uh, will they make it this year? Probably. That's a pretty remarkable run when you think, well, the Utes had a really good run for, uh, what, in 15 years they went five times, and then with Larry's trip that would be a sixth time in 25 years, and then you look at here's Gonzaga with 10 in 21 years. So when you're talking about pulling up alongside a Gonzaga, and are you talking about, and since you brought it up, are you talking about doing it one time, or are you talking about doing it and sustaining it? Over well, the they, 10 mean, or 15 they, or 20 years that few might coach. They've already done it. They beat Gonzaga in the tournament. So it's not about one time because it's already been accomplished. Uh, I was sitting courtside. Jimmer. Yeah. So they, they can do it. Uh, that's It's the idea of the concept of building a program that can compete consistently 
on par with Gonzaga. And last year they had it, right? They played twice and they won once, right? They didn't get the opportunity to play them in Vegas because they blew it against St. Mary's. So they did beat them. That's the last Gonzaga loss. That was, and that's the thing about BYU is I believe that they can they can compete favorably, more much more consistently than they've been able to do. And they did that last night too. The first two games, I mean, by the first media timeout, the game was over. Yep. <laughs> and obviously that wasn't the case last night. So they made uh, internal improvements uh, just in this season. That was a competitive ball game literally right down to the end. There was some free throws at the end there that extended the margin a little bit. But even Dickie V was saying that it was much closer. So And it was. So they, they did make that. To me, there's no reason why they can't. They they may not be able to be as competitive as Gonzaga consistently, but they can be in the ballpark. I believe they can, and I believe they should. They have a lot of stuff going for them, right? I mean, far and away, they have the a lot of stuff compared to the rest of the WCC. That's something that is not even close to debatable. I haven't been to all the WCC facilities, but you I've don't been to need most to. Of them. And and I've been to BYU's and I've been inside their new facility here, two years old, and it's and it's awesome, and the fan base and it's great, you know, the arena when it's packed with the student section and and just the hardcore fans that they have, that matters to kids for sure. It matters to kids, so it's just a question of you know what what is allowable, what can Mark Pope? I don't want to say get away with because that sounds underhanded, but what is he going to be able to do? Because uh, I think that when you look at this lineup here, man, four transfers and a freshman, and return missionaries aren't really playing a big factor to the level that they used to. I don't have any problem with that. I couldn't care less, and I think most of the BYU fans couldn't care less on that. Uh, but what are the ones who sort of chirp? What are the chirpers going to say? Well, and Mark and, Pope is a charismatic dude himself, big time. And so then maybe a, he can overcome that. Are the chirpers going to be listened to? Or are the chirpers going to be listened to and then told? And thank you for your call. Click. And then well, it depends on else. how much money's behind the chirpers. <laughs> and that's the way of the world. So it's it's not knitting lighting. Then there's a handful of big boosters. I I think they need more than a handful. But yeah, what are the 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 influencers? The people who. Uh, have the money and you know are donating money. When you donate money, you're not really donating it. You're not donating. You're donating buying. It. You're buying something. Yeah. yeah. You're buying access, maybe. Yeah. You know, you can be in the Cougar Club room, and so it's not so much one person chirping in the Cougar Club because then the rest of the Cougar Club could look at him like, "Could you hold it down over there?" But if two thirds of the Cougar Club is fired up about something that is said or done. Well, then someone's going to talk to the coach, and a coach is going to talk to the player, and there you go. Yeah. But here's another thing. And so all of that, all that's on the table. But if you're really going to do what few has done and build a program, then it also comes down to how much are you willing to pay coaches? Because the coach who does it, and that's whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's Pope or whoever comes after Pope who does it, you know the offers are going to pour in not just from – the rest of college basketball, that's a given, but possibly from the NBA. Butler went to two Final Fours, and the Celtics hired the coach. And so you start to build a program, 
And certainly, you know, few took this to a level, and then because he stayed, he was able to take it to another level where the Sweet 16s became, instead of the Sweet 16 being the peak year, it became routine. You know, and you can look at like 2015, all of a sudden, Sweet 16s become automatic. Not something they do once in a while, but something they just do. 2015, 2016, 2017, yeah, it looks like he rattled off uh, five in a row. And the only thing that stopped him was there was no tournament. And I assume he's going to do it again. Well, the Sweet 16s weren't that routine for a while. That was something, you know, he got there and he built it, and then he was able to build upon it. He did. And so I wonder if someone comes in at BYU and has, you know, two big seasons, four big seasons, whatever it is, and we know where the football money is going, at what point does a school with football money say, we need a better basketball coach? How about this guy? Uh, sure. Yeah, and then it's up to Pope to, to whether he wants to say stay. I got a text uh, as recently as uh, Sunday. What's today? Wednesday. As recently as Sunday. Quote: BYU is so cheap. <clears throat> so I don't think that's going to change much. Well, then, then you can have a year, occasionally where you're better in Gonzaga and you have the player of the year and you knock them out of the tournament and you go to the Sweet 16 and they don't. Because isn't that what that was? That was the second round game, right? Yeah. Well, BYU goes to the Sweet 16 when they have the player of the year. Yeah. They've had it twice since, uh, what, 1980 or 81, whenever Ainge had his run. 1981, 2011. Yeah. It was 30-year, 30-years. When you have the player of the year, you can go to the Sweet 16. Those are two indisputable facts at BYU. <laughs> so just get the player of the year, then you go to the Sweet 16. Other than that, you're not going because you haven't gone. So that's a tough bar to have to – and those two – you know, Ainge was a phenomenal pro. I mean, I don't, he didn't have the statistics because he played on that team in Boston – I think if he would have played on a lesser team, he could have had the statistics. And Jimmer was a phenomenal college player who didn't have a big-time NBA career, but he's rocking the world in China. So get those players, and away you go. But I think you can overcome that. I don't think you need that. And I just I, – I think, I think Mark Pope's – well, I don't think. I believe Mark Pope in the BYU world is absolutely the right person for the job. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It is time to welcome in Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical. And Andrew, you've been on the air before uh, talking about ED and Wasatch Medical uh, offering up a solution for ED. So I guess the question is, why are guys so hesitant to get their ED taken care of? Well, this is interesting. I was talking to a patient just a couple days ago. He said, hey, I've been hearing you, Andrew, for years. I've got ED, but I waited as long as humanly possible to come in there. And I kind of questioned that. Well, why, you know, what made you so hesitant? And he said, pride and ego. (laughs) And I think that's so typical. When a man has ED, we don't want to admit it. Uh, The problem generally gets worse. And maybe men just don't know about our technology. Uh, They think the pill is the only option. We are finally treating the root cause of erectile dysfunction. We're opening up very gently blood vessels so 
we're restoring normal function in the bedroom, and we're hoping to eliminate the stigma of getting this treated. So why do guys want to stop taking the pill? Because that, that can be more private, and so if there's pride and ego on the line, you go to the pill. Right, and a lot of guys do that. In fact, most guys do that. They generally stop or don't want to do that because of the side effects, the headaches and the blurred vision. And somewhere in the range of 30 or 40% of men taking the pill uh, don't get a result of any kind. So that's a symptom reliever, best case, whereas our treatments are going after the actual cause. So as always, you've got a special offer, you've got a deal, and our listeners certainly love special offers and deals. Yeah, we deliver a ton of value. This is hundreds of dollars in value, actually. Uh, Call us now. Put a stop to the ED. The assessment, the exam will be free. The blood flow ultrasound with our medical doctor. Uh, A little enhanced gift. You'll love this. It produces immediate results in the bedroom. And new patients even get free testosterone right now to handle a little ambition in the bedroom. We we refer to that as. Uh, Give us a call now. It's all no charge. Guys, you can put a stop to your ED by calling Wasatch Medical right now and claiming that offer, 801-901-8000. 801-901-8000. Call Wasatch Medical at 801-901-8000. Andrew, thank you. Thank you, guys. PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday at The Warehouse from 2 to 6 at 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Oh, boom! DJ and PK, time to welcome in Tim Lacombe, jazz radio studio analyst, former BYU assistant, former staff member at Utah. Tim, good morning. Good morning. So, Tim, we have been discussing a question which you are uniquely qualified to answer. Or some would say. No, you really are. (laughs) So, BYU, trying to close the gap with Gonzaga. And we saw BYU, after getting handled easily twice by the Zags, the third time, they jump out to a big lead, they're hitting shots, Gonzaga's defense, and they weren't really interested in pressuring guys 20, 25 feet from the hoop. But they got down 12 at halftime, and suddenly they were interested in that. And Kispert got hot, and that made it a game really quickly. And then the last four minutes, they were the better team, and they pulled away. So that's a a one-game deal. But to pull a program alongside of Gonzaga, can BYU do that? How do you do that and sustain it? What hurdles does BYU have to overcome? Obviously, there are going to be some recruiting hurdles, and depending on how you recruit, there might be pushback from some of the fan base. Can that gap be closed aside from few retires and or few leaves? You know, I don't uh, – I wasn't very successful at chasing down the Zags. Um, you know, we, 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 we certainly got the better of them a few times. But, um, you know, they are – that number one by their name is pretty ominous. And, you know, just for those that, that aren't aware, that's number one in the country. That's not number one in the conference, um, although they're number one in the conference, too. Um, it, it's just what they have going there is, is really amazing. I think uh, it, it really is kind of a, a situation where now they're getting, you know, they're in the mix right now for the number one player in the country next year. Um, and Suggs wasn't far off. So 
they continue to really kind of elevate their program. Um, but I think what we saw last night, I mean, you know, it reminded me of a game. I All the years run together, but we were – we were in a game there in the Orleans late um, that was tight, um, like that game was. I think last night, six minutes, it was tied. And, um, you know, you got to credit BYU with a great effort. But I think the thing that, you know, you wake up this morning as a coach at BYU, administrator, I think those are the very things that are on your mind. Uh, as great a, a game and season as it was, you know, there's – there's unfinished business. You know, you want to hang a banner. You want to win the league. You want to win a conference tournament. And Gonzaga's pretty good at that. So um, I, I think things are trending in the right direction. And I, I really like the direction Mark's recruiting. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, the hard part is you can work on your hand, but the guy across the, the table's got a hand as well, and you have no chance to influence that hand at all. You just got to play yours. So how would it be received in the BYU community if they fielded teams that had uh, no starters who'd served a mission and they're all transfers coming out, or most of them anyway, and don't fit the historical BYU mode? Well, uh, you know, I I can only speak from experience in that, um, you know, BYU is a a place that is, is you know, for members of the church, and then you, you put guys that play basketball on top of that, you know, you, you're always going to have that that draw of getting the best players. I think what, you know, uh, I honestly believe, because I've seen this everywhere, regardless of the makeup of the squad, really the only thing that matters, because I think everybody can get behind a winner. Um, you know, if a team is made up differently. I, I really think what BYU did bring in Gideon George in, his story, you know, I think there's there's ways that you can bring transfers um, and guys in that aren't part of the, of the faith, but I think that it can really be a promising thing. Can you build your entire roster that way? Uh, I'm glad I'm not the one trying, because I would imagine that'll rock the boat. But, you know, I, th- I think Mark's smart. He's going to He's going to continue to get the best players he can that want to be there, and then they're going to do a great job of of finding kind of and discovering guys that maybe don't seem like a natural fit that, that look like um, you know that they belong here. Well, you bring up several questions uh, when you say that, and so I guess I'm thinking, well, you can't build a roster completely out of transfers. But if you had a core of guys who were the traditional local guy you recruit, some go on missions, maybe some don't, but most probably do. Uh, I guess the question then is, is the local high school and AAU scene producing enough of those guys, or are there going to be years, even back-to-back years, where you just have to pass because if you take somebody, the best guy really isn't good enough to get to the level you want to get at with Gonzaga. You know, I think that's a decision you've got to make uh, in-house. I mean, our, I can tell you what our philosophy was. Our philosophy was to get the very, very best player we could, obviously, that had a, a keen interest and desire, and BYU was on their list. You know, that it, was a, it was guys like 
you know, the Haas. You know, people think that TJ and Ty were just done deals. And, you know, TJ was more so because his process was different. But, you know, Ty went right to the wire. Ty was going to go to Stanford. And and thank God we got him because uh, we all know what he did at BYU. And so I think um, – I do believe, I think if you look up the makeup of BYU's rosters over time, um, you know, you're always going to try to get those guys. And then from there, it's really, you know, we, we had some success, you know, going in and fishing out of different ponds. You know, we, we, we made a, some inroads down in Vegas with, uh, with, with Gorman down there, and we were able to get a couple players out of Vegas. And, um, you know, we jumped hard into uh, – understanding junior college and tried to take guys that made made sense. Um, but I really do think as far as Mark's plan and vision, um, you know, pretty much everything he talked about uh, early on, I think that those things are in play. And, you know, this is two years in a row that, you know, last year if there's a tournament, they're in it. And this year, you know, they've earned their way in. And I know how hard that is, man. It's hard to do. And, they did a great job in the regular season, you know, to make sure that at this point they're in. Um, there were a lot of tenuous moments for us in this this week off. Um, so can you can you exclusively do it? I don't know um, because I didn't do it, but I, I think that the the staff has a great great feel for what works and what doesn't. And I think BYU is evolving a little bit. I mean. You know, I, you can just look at the hair. <laughs> I was talking in passing with a buddy of mine down there. Works there, and like, man, I, I, we had zero mohawks in the time I was there. And uh, you know, anytime we had facial hair, we got letters. And so, I mean, I think things are evolving just in time too. So, um, hopefully, all those things coupled together, Mark can just continue to build this thing. What do you think Eliasova brings to the Jazz? Um, you know what? He, he's a stretch guy. He's a guy that another guy that can step out on the floor. I think it diversifies when they go big. Um, we talked about it. We haven't seen a whole lot of favors in, in Rudy, but there are times where you want to go a little bigger. And what he provides is uh, a, a capable, you know, thirty-six percent career. Is that right? Three-point shooter, um, a guy that can step out and shoot it. It gives you some size. Um, you know, I think with. Uh, with George, you know, it may impact George a little bit because he may get some of those minutes. But I, but I think it's uh, it's just an a way for the Jazz to be a little bit more versatile. And as the playoffs come, to be able to have, you know, you got to have a couple different ways and lineups to play in the NBA that match um, and maybe even create an advantage. So I'd say that's what he's there for. Thirty-six and a half percent career three-point shooter. If you go back, there are. Th- I was off. I'm sorry. Here, there. No, you're. That was the point as you were on. The uh, there were three years in his twenties, uh, two in Milwaukee, and then a portion of a season in Orlando, not a full season, where he did shoot over forty percent. There were two years in Milwaukee. He shot forty four and forty five percent. So he wasn't shooting as many then. If you get him to be selective, maybe you find spots on the floor. How much can the Jazz coaches tweak and make this better? And how much is this an insurance policy, a 10th guy for occasional matchups, and we shouldn't overthink it? Or if there's an injury, you know, then someone you can plug in, maybe someone who would be better suited to play out basketball and has more experience than Mieoni, 
who right now looks like the guy before the, this move that you would be plugging in, but you might be plugging into a series, you know, Lakers, Clippers, Suns, whoever. It's maybe a little more than uh, he can handle at this point in his career. Yeah, I think that's what he. <clears throat> I mean, if if I were to guess, I don't. I don't think they made a move for a rotational player here. I think. I think the the move is is like exactly what you and I said to diversify the bench to, um, you know, to to see what a guy who can come in there at the floor, just like we see with George, keep the floor spaced and spread. Uh, I think he's really going to, at least Ova's really going to benefit from the way the ball moves here. Um, you know, I think he, he saw something. You know, Milwaukee has a, a good idea offensively, but it does stop a lot with Giannis and, um, and Middleton. And I think what he, I think he'll be impressed the way the, the ball flies around. And when the ball flies around, that just indicates – that the defense is a step behind it, and, you know, because the ball, the ball is the most important thing. It can move quicker. So if you can move that thing like the Jazz are moving it and share it, I think he'll really benefit from that in his time on the floor. We know going in the All-Star break, the Jazz lost, what, three out of four, four out of seven. And so there was obviously a little bit of slippage, which could be expected because they were winning at such a phenomenal rate. With that in mind, how important is these first few games coming out of the break? I think they're huge. Um, you know, I think if you kind of compare it to a, a game, um, you know, we're basically at halftime. And so it's important to come out and be, be sharp, uh, to be really good and, and not show any weakness. Um, I thought last night, you know, BYU and the Gonzaga game is a perfect example. I think that BYU really was free and easy and played hard. And, and, but I also believe Gonzaga gave them a little more real estate than they typically do. Uh, at halftime, I think two things happened. I think BYU got a little tight with the lead, um, and that coupled with Gonzaga being a little bit more um, prone to guarding them closer, uh, you know, that kind of flipped the game back to even. And what the Jazz want to do, really, in this is they just want to keep distance between themselves. And in order to do that, you got to continue to play well. I haven't seen um, any indication that the Jazz will slow down considerably. I was a little concerned you know, defensively in that stretch um, was probably the area that slipped the most. Um, and even then, you know, the Jazz had stretches in those games where they guarded really well. So it's just a matter, I think, more than anything, this rest and not just not just physical rest, but mental rest to get away from it. I mean, hell, I'm the I'm the pre, half, and post guy, and I was famished. I was exhausted. I needed a break. You know, so I'm. I'm, I'm working on my R&R right now, and I can't even imagine what the guys must feel like. So they're, uh, they'll come out of the break, in it, but it's really important. You want to maintain momentum, and the only way you can do that is to, to continue to play well. Um, but this Jazz team's really, really focused, and, and I actually kind of like this new addition because it, it'll require guys to be really engaged, and, and they'll be a part of this where they bring Ilyasova along, and while they're doing that, you know, it'll help them keep their heads where they need to be, and um, but, I, but I like all the direction that this is pointing. I like the way the, the schedule stacks up for sure. So watching that BYU-Gonzaga game and watching uh, what you say about the real estate they were willing to give up, yeah. uh, Quinn Snyder always talks about pickup points. And, you know, for people who haven't played and haven't gotten into this, and, and PK's real, always really into the mental aspect. You know, when do you think you can do something and when do you think you can't? Because that'll decide a big chunk of whether you can do it or not. And I thought Gonzaga in the first half let BYU bring the ball right to the three-point line and run their offense. 
and they could swing the ball from side to side, and the ball never really left the three-point line. In the second half, the pickup point got extended out five, sometimes even 10 or 12 feet beyond the three-point line, and guys were uncomfortable. Guys weren't looking for shots. They were just looking not to turn the ball over and move it to the next guy and say, yeah, maybe we can get over to the other side and get a shot. Can you talk about what that does and what that does to shooters' confidence? Yeah, it, it's really an astute point, and I saw it right from the beginning. You know, I mean, really the indicator on offense, BYU runs a lot of dribble handoffs. And, you know, like you said, those dribble handoffs were right at the three-point line. And those are such great attack areas as an offense. That's where you want to be. You want to be really spaced, but you you want to be, you know, part of being on attack is is owning that that kind of intermediate space. And BYU did that really well in the first half, and I thought Gonzaga kind of lost that battle. It was interesting because I knew Mark Few would light them up. Uh, you know, the one thing he he won't stand for is bad effort, and uh, I think that's one of his, his real um, – and I don't necessarily think it was his bad effort as much as maybe they they were just a little bit lax and BYU was just on fire. And – you know, as BYU continued to make shots, it really does get frustrating. So by going to the locker room, I knew Mark would jump them, and I knew they'd come out with a ton of energy. And, you know, I almost expected in that that start of that second half, BYU would get some back doors because that's really the key to breaking that pressure. Um, but what ended up happening is BYU just got pushed out more on the floor. Their backs were to the basket. You know, like you mentioned, DJ, that's a really good point. Um, you know, that – it was more, hey, I need to complete this handoff or pass as opposed to, uh, you know, let's, let's really drive, create an advantage and kick. Um, so it's a mental part of the game, and, and it's uh, a part that Gonzaga really kind of honed in hard last night in the second half. And BYU, you know, to their credit, on an 11-2 run, they didn't just roll over. They, they had one more run in and shot and got that thing, like I said, to six minutes tied. Um, and it, it, but really the last couple minutes – Gonzaga just really kind of put the the, the pedal down and coasted away. Uh, but that is a game within a game. Uh, real estate, you know, isn't just a, uh, a commodity. It's a part of the basketball. And whoever really wins that real estate battle has a really good chance of winning the game. So you've been out of coaching for a couple of years. Is this the time of year you miss it the most? Um, it's funny because I, honestly – I miss the relationships and the associations, but I strategically walked away because I wanted to make sure there wouldn't be a whole lot of longing. And so I almost went a year longer than, than I'd planned to make sure that this was the course and the track I wanted for my life. So right now, while I enjoy it, it's more like I'm back in high school, to be honest with you. Um, I used to skip school all the time during tournament weeks to sit and watch basketball 24 um, seven. My parents would get so mad, but it was my, it was what I loved to do. And I never forget to get in the USA today, you know, the Monday of after selection Sunday, and it had a whole section, everything broke down of every team strengths, weaknesses, bracket, you know, who they suggest, maybe some upsets picks. I just love to dive into that. So, what I would say is I don't miss it from, you know, the, the coaching seat. What I'm really doing is being able to appreciate it again as a fan, which is really cool. So is Gonzaga going to do it? Are they going to win it all? Are they going to go undefeated? Because 
You probably go back to, I don't, I don't know how old you are, high school, junior high. How old were you in Indiana when undefeated? I was uh, six years old, Kim Benson and Quinn Buckner. A little before your time, in other words. No, I was You right were cutting school at six. Yeah, <laughs> I was. Really? I was, First was grade, come on. No, I'm just joking. Come on. No, I, I just, you know what I remember about them? I remember the SI cover with Quinn Buckner and... And uh, Ken Benson, I remember that. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I hope they can because I will tell you this: there is no finer person on this planet than Mark Few, and he deserves it for what he's done. Uh, he's done a great job. He's universally loved across the game, and it's hard to do that when you win ninety percent of your games because you're ticking a lot of people off. Um, but it's hard to do. The reason it hasn't been done for a long time, it hasn't been done a whole lot, period, is it's really hard to do. And the NCAA tournament's all about matchups. You know, it's no different for BYU. They're, they're now sitting on pins and needles. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget when we were up against it. You know, BYU had not won a tournament game. You know, you speak about all the great years BYU had in their history uh, and some of the great players that came through. You know, that 2001 team. They won the conference tournament, but they still did not win a game in the NCAA tournament. And so it's hard to do that. And and it's all about matchups. So we wish, I remember sitting there and we're up against it. We want to win a game so bad in the tournament because we're so tired of hearing that BYU hadn't won one since 88. I think, is that the year that they beat somebody? Um, well, I think Roger Reed won a game in the early 90s. but Okay. Yeah, oh, 92, 92. 92, I think it was. They beat SMU, I think, was the last win. Um, but you think about 92 to 2007, and that's how long it was before BYU won a basketball game in the NCAA tournament, and that was weighing on us so bad. And uh, we got Texas A&M. We got Texas A&M again. Okay? And then we got Florida out of the SEC in the first round. So... We were having these great years. I mean, I think we won 30 games the year we beat Florida. And we still had to play a team like that, a Power 5 team, who was really tough. Chandler Parsons was on that team. They were good. And we ended up beating them in overtime, and we got that monkey off our back. Um, but my point is, now you sit and wait for matchups. And for BYU, you know, they're looking at that first game um, and praying that's a great matchup for them. Gonzaga's looking, <laughs> Gonzaga's looking up and down the bracket. Right, they're they're in a different place where they're saying, okay, here's our first round matchup, and that's going to be a 16, and then we got to look down. Who's our two? Who's our four? You know, who are, who are the teams that could cause us some issues? And you get right to work on it. Um, and that's what's fun about it, man. Is it now at this point you've done all your work, you put your body, you know, in front of the committee, and now they're going to tell you what they think you're worth, and they're going to tell you who you got to beat. And so it's a fun time. A couple of days, and we'll know. Well, you got a few more days of R and R. Friday, we'll hear you on the Jazz pre-half and post. That's right, and uh, I miss Jake, man. I was getting this rhythm where we're kind of like the stepbrothers. <laughs> uh, we were with each other all the time. We actually got bunk beds up there in that studio. If things get too late, we just, you know, say our prayers and jump into bed and go to sleep. So we'll see, we'll see. But uh, Friday it comes, so I'm going to enjoy Wednesday and Thursday like I've never enjoyed Wednesday and Thursday before. (laughs) Thank you, Tim.
All right, thank you all. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, former BYU assistant, former Utah staffer. Time to bring in Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic. And Andrew, uh, you've told us a little bit about this, but for people who don't know, Cambridge University has been looking you over. Yes, they have. Uh, For men struggling with ED, it's been the pill. We have a new technology called Acoustic Wave. And yes, Cambridge uh, did a study, I think in 2017, they took a bunch of guys that were no longer um, getting any result from the pill. So I'm assuming severe erectile dysfunction. Uh, They put them through the treatments. They went back, tested results, did x-rays. And they said in their words, every single guy tested received an increase in blood flow. Pretty cool stuff. There's 40 other clinical studies that have similar results. If you're out there struggling with ED or you just want to improve things, you want more blood flow, more frequency in the bedroom, we have helped so many guys at Wasatch Medical. Uh, Typically, just a few treatments over two to three weeks. That is it. You'd be done. So you've, uh, you've talked before about this, the top causes of ED. For guys who are saying, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Yeah, yeah uh, we see a lot of diabetes, prostate issues. But I will say that it's just kind of the way a man ages. Uh, just because you have ED doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. The American lifestyle, you know, kind of causes our blood vessels to harden up. Uh, shrivel a little bit, and this is a blood flow problem. The number one leading cause of ED is damaged and restricted blood vessels, and that is what our treatments are trying to repair. All right, you got a special deal for listeners. Tell them all about it. We do. If you're out there struggling with ED, you want to throw those pills away, improve things with your significant other, uh, we really believe in delivering a lot of value. Um, We're going to do the exam Uh, the consultation, even the blood flow ultrasound with our doctor at no charge. Uh, We're doing uh, the special gift. It produces immediate results in the bedroom. You'll love that. And new patients get free testosterone, a ton of value. Give us a call now. It's all no charge. Guys, you can call Wasatch Medical right now. You can claim that offer at 801-901-8000. 801-901-8000. The phone number for Wasatch Medical, 801-901-8000. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, guys. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Tim Lacombe. What type of Mike Conley are we going to get now to finish the season after getting his first all-star bid and having kind of the start to the season that he's had? He's a guy who's been undersold a lot in his career. I mean, you look at the numbers, and the numbers are so impressive over his entire career. You know, he's joined the Jazz. You know, he had a difficult time transitioning to a new place and a new system. So, like, I think what we're seeing and what we're going to see in the second half is just more Mike Conley, which to me is toughness, grit, determination, and a whole lot of understanding of who he is. I think he lives for the big moment. I'm telling you, on a national stage when, you know, kind of an uninvited guest, and he showed up and darn near stole the three-point contest. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. Dirt, dust, dander, and allergens are no match for Zero Res carpet cleaning. If you want the contaminants gone, call Zero Res. Right now, just $33 per room to get your carpets Zero Res clean. But minimums apply. Call them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online at Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. But no maximum must apply. That's the great thing. (laughs) 
So you hear Tim Lacombe talk about BYU and building a program yeah. and how do you yeah. catch Gonzaga? Uh-huh. Did it uh-huh. change yeah. anything in your mind? Did it illuminate a point you had not perhaps fully considered? Uh, I don't know what illuminate means. That's fancy words right Thank there. You. <laughs> well, yeah, he went right to the mohawk and facial hair. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Is that going to be a hurdle they have to clear to build a program, or is that hurdle going to be removed? Because there's plenty of hurdles that everybody faces. I mean, there's a reason Gonzaga's 26-0 and handled Virginia and West Virginia and Kansas. There's plenty of basketball hurdles. Are you going to put other hurdles in the program's way? Well, they're already there. I well, don't know that you're putting – they already Apparently exist. one's been removed because now a guy can have a mohawk, and it's not a big deal unless it's – I don't know. A big deal because some. I, I guess someone in Vegas would have yeah, shaved his see, head I, for a big deal after Monday. I don't know. I, I disagree. If you have four guys with mohawks, one guy has a mohawk, and it's been it's been mentioned yep. multiple times. One we guy. all we all noticed it. I noticed it. You noticed it. Like what? You just got a guy with a mohawk? Huh. And Averett had his hair in a little bit of a bun all season, and I heard about that too. These are things that get talked about. And they get letters. They get criticism. Just like Tim said, this is stuff I've been hearing for 25 years. I'm a dope, but I'm an honest dope. Hmm. People trust me. And so they tell me stuff because they know I'm not going to give them up. Under any circumstance, am I ever going to give up anybody? Never. We'll never do it. And I hear these things. And these are already there. These are obstacles that already exist and have existed. Kelly Olenek could have never played at BYU. Do you realize that? That's a problem. Because of the the hair, if you're wondering, people. Yes. Oh, not for the talent. He's been in the NBA. He's not a star. But how long has he been in the NBA now? Not a decade, but pretty close. Maybe eight years. Just taking a shot. And you know me. I'm for him. (laughs) Well, it's... He's a Gonzaga guy. Yep. I believe he came one of the earlier pros that they had out of uh, Canada, I think it was. And he's had the long hair. So that's what's going to be interesting to see what Mark Pope, as he continues to explore beyond the traditional way of BYU. I mean, look at it, man. If you include Loner as a transfer since he signed with Utah, they had five transfers that they started and have been starting. Now, the the BYU fan who wants them to win has no qualms whatsoever. I personally have. I couldn't care less. There are Cougar fans in their car right now who are shaking their head like, why are you talking about this? I don't care. Right. But Lacombe mentions how they would get letters and stuff. And this Harvard hair has already been mentioned. The hair. The Mohawk. I care about him making baskets and Ding up and getting rebounds. That's what I care about. I don't really care about the other stuff. But there are people out the BYU way. I'm telling you, Steve Cleveland got ripped big time for it when he brought in Ron Solis. Big time got ripped. It was a big and, deal at the time. I remember it well. People were writing about it and talking about it. It was a big deal. Okay, so here's the difference. In that era, people, you know, BYU gets whatever feedback. And whatever, and so Steve ends up going a different way. But 
does Pope, do they hear about it now, but they don't have to go a different way? I mean, you mentioned Averett's hair. Well, he's worn his hair like that all year. Well, if he was wearing it like that all year, nobody made him change it. That's different than telling a guy to go shave 20 minutes before a game. So if uh, someone the is the COVID a, thing with people not being on campus and whatnot, I wonder if it's just the, as you would say, your one-off spiel. Yeah. And that's the thing is, like, people could still talk about it, but if there's an administrator there to kind of shield and say, listen, I'll talk to these folks, you keep doing what you're doing, because it's just not that big a deal. So if they're in that place, then whoever gets upset gets upset, but it doesn't really impact the program if that's the way things are going. Yeah, well, then it comes down to the people who are forking over the cash, man. Money talks. At all times, money talks talks everything is driven by money that's where i would say it's not the one-off then because it's one thing when you're on campus but those folks they're not on campus running these guys they're seeing them at games and they're certainly watching these games on tv and and they've seen they've seen the mohawk they've seen how whoever wears their hair whatever they've seen that if they're not pushing back right now then maybe it goes back to what lacombe says is like there's an evolution and that's one hurdle and there are others but that's one hurdle that apparently doesn't have to be cleared anymore. Mm. Okay. Unless you're right, and it is one-off, and next year it's going to be a big <laughs> deal, and people are going to have to change. And then a recruit talks to a player, and the recruit hears something. I mean, there's no question at Arizona that recruits heard stuff from players over time. He had to change how he recruited. He changed who he was getting. You know, and it, and obviously he's been. You know, there's an NCAA investigation. Is he going to keep his job? And that's impacting his recruiting too. But over time, that stuff adds up. At the start, a coach preaches his vision, and that's the most important thing in recruiting. It doesn't matter if it's football or basketball. It doesn't matter if it's uh, Power Five or somebody who's just made the move up a level. The coach preaches his vision, and that's a determining thing. But you start getting down the road three, four, five years in, now players want to know, okay, what was it like for you? And they found out on the recruiting visit, these guys text each other because they know each other off the AAU circuit, and then that becomes the most important thing because the coach can say whatever, but now he's got a track record, and what does his track record say? Yeah, but I don't think BYU's ever going to get those types of players anyway. That okay, you're talking so, about. so now if you're not getting those it's types, it's always of, going to be the transfers. It's going to be the disenfranchised guys mm-hmm. in location A who want to go to location B. So it's not they're never going to be in the running for these hotshot AAU kids. It's not going to happen. So unless they're LDS, and those are the ones. But mm-hmm. the others, not don't don't worry about that because that's not going to be re- your recruiting. Uh, Avenue. Gonzaga's built a lot off of transfers, but not purely off of transfers. If you're really going to go with five transfers, I just don't think you can catch Gonzaga. Okay, and probably not. But then, so then you have to ask yourself for BYU is what is acceptable as success defined by the NCAA tournament and not necessarily success or long running success in the NCAA tournament because we're building up Pope as this great coach for BYU. And I think he is, and it's justifiable. I have no idea what would have happened in the NCAA tournament last year, but he would have gone, deservedly so. So in terms of NCAA tournament, he's two for two. Yes. Now, is that it? See, because he's two for two, we're thinking, and the general thinking is, all right, man, he's making progress. And they beat Gonzaga once. This year, the best team Gonzaga's ever had. 
He was tied with them with just a handful of minutes to go. That's progress. All right, is so is that progress going to continue to be incremental? Because if it is, well, then everyone's going to be ecstatic. But has he already reached the uh, level that BYU is going to flatten out? And that is that where we're going to be with the program, which is not a bad place to be. But everybody wants more. Well, I think that Tim hit the nail on the head when he said, uh, you know, basically everyone knows BYU can be an NCAA tournament team. And probably they can be an NCAA tournament team as often as they miss. Maybe they can be an NCAA tournament team a little more often than they miss. You know, to your point, in football you always say, oh, if you can beat your rivals 7 out of 10, you know, if you can beat a conference opponent's 7 out of 10, you're pretty happy. Can BYU go to an NCAA tournament six or seven times in a decade? Might be a little high-end, doesn't seem like a big stretch. Might be a little bit of a stretch, but not much. But Tim said we heard, why don't you win a game? you got to win when you get there. That, I think, is the question. You don't, if Gonzaga is going to stay an Elite Eight, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Final Four program, I don't think BYU is catching them. I just don't think they are. But if BYU gets to a point where they routinely win a game or two in the tournament and it's not a surprise, that's a step forward. Because okay, but right now, winning is, a game, winning a game is a big that? deal. They've never done that. So now you're going to have them do that? Yeah, I think that's the question. That, and that's they haven't gotten in the field Pope's of been there two years since 2012. Right. Can they do it in the WCC era? Because basically what you're saying is they did it in the Mountain West era pretty consistently, and they had some Mountain West guys when they first made the move, so they still did it, and then they didn't. Now, is Pope going to be able to win a tournament game? He's two years into this, and because of the pandemic, the guy still hasn't coached in an NCAA tournament game. He's 0-0 zero and zero in the tourney. So, yes, I think he can. It just depends on how much latitude they're going to give him because he's going away from the BYU model. And how the far do you get to BYU go before, before you get a phone call? Well, uh, depending on their appearance and the violations. That's real talk. Is hair going to be that big a hurdle? It is for some. Right, but I'm, I'm saying for the program. I, I get that there'll always be some BYU fan out there who calls or writes and complains. Depends on which administrator is. Well, it's, yeah, it's, to, this is, I yeah. mean, a BYU fan didn't go to a prominent player 20 minutes before kickoff and said, cut your hair. Uh, no BYU fan did that. That was a BYU official going to a coach who then had to go to the player. And sheepishly and embarrassing had to go to the player 20 minutes before kickoff. And then it wasn't a fan. There's a kid down at uh, Arizona State. Uh, uh, what's his name? Robertson. Merlin. He's a linebacker. Yep. And he had a kid as a senior in high school, and he was interested in BYU. And they told him you can't recruit the kid. That's not a fan. So it's not. It's not what some fan is saying. And th- this is stuff that was told to me. Point blank about that, and well, they that's couldn't not, recruit. That's, that's not the only time. Kid. There's, and I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up the story. You're gonna have to tell it because you're gonna get it better. But there was some conversation at the Huntsman Center, and someone pointed up at the banners and all the retired numbers for the Utes, and there were like I don't know, was it three ba- three guys, four. four okay, four who could have gone to the Y, except wait, look at the backstory. No, they couldn't have. 
Well, they had kids. Most of them had kids. Were, were all of them? Did all of them have kids in college? Uh, or most of them? That, that was the joke. Yeah. To, to get your jersey retired, you had to be first-team All-American and have a kid out of wedlock. <laughs> or get a kid, get get a girl pregnant while you were at the U of U, and that was the joke among the players. So again, criticize me all you want on that, but that was the running joke. Uh, and I, I actually I don't even know if I don't I don't know if those kids were BYU interested. I don't I'd never heard that connection, so I don't know anything about that. That's two different things. I don't know if they were interested in BYU at all. Uh, what the story was there. Uh, so. Those are, these are all issues. I'm, I'm just wondering, is, has, B, has Mark Pope already pushed up against uh, BYU's limit? DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Stay with us. Coming up at 9 o'clock, Andy Bailey, NBA writer for Bleacher Report. And we'll talk about the Jazz, the latest acquisition with him on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sarah Todd, she covers the Jazz for the Deseret News. I don't think we have any reason to be worried about the Jazz and their positioning in the league. There's no reason to doubt their talent or their skill level or, or even to look back on what they've been able to do so far in the first half of the season and think that it was a fluke. I think the second half of the season is obviously going to be more telling than the first half. That's when they want to be playing their best basketball. The season progresses. You know, this team is incredibly talented and they've been doing a lot of things at such a high level and the fact of the matter is they are the winningest team in the league this season. And until they give me a reason to really doubt them, I'm not. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK in the morning is brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Got Andy Bailey, NBA writer for Bleacher Report coming up. PK, what do you think during this all-star break here? Do you think people really get away from it? Do you think coaches, I mean, Quinn Snyder, but any coach really, uh, do you think they go a day without texting a player or thinking about an inbounds play? Do they really unplug, refresh in that and just completely shut it down? Would you buy that if one of them told you that? No. They're still thinking about it. I would if a player told me about it. But not an administrator, not a coach, not a general manager, not a front office person. No, I don't think the job ever ends, and I don't think it's ever that far from your mind. Uh, yeah, I can totally see maybe, it. Maybe, you know, when you get into August. Maybe, yeah, maybe then. I can see, even even then I wonder, though, because yeah. the, the, front office, the front office people, if they can get away from the team itself – if you're still res- have some any level of responsibility for the draft, there's big college games going on. So you're watching guys. So you're you're not away from it. So it'd have to be more a coach. I would never buy not it out of the front of office. Year. Yeah. And and the thing is with the international tournaments, or, yeah. you know, there's not there, there's a little bit of time, but even August, you know, early September, late July, whenever free agency end before the guys come back to town. I don't even know how much they get to unplug then. I mean, hopefully they do for a week or two, but there's still international tournaments to watch. And Why? Because you're going to draft these guys. I, don't, some... I wouldn't say hopefully. Uh, no, no I, you... I wouldn't say hopefully. If you don't want to do it, don't get in it. Yeah, you got to unplug at some point, though. You're human. Don't you have to shut it down at some point? But I don't, I don't think guys really yeah, shut it down for a month. Co- yeah. I'm still waiting for that first vacation my father took from his two jobs as a janitor. 
Come on, man. <laughs> it's, why should they be any different? You don't think he was worried this whole time about uh, his jobs and how he was going to be able to uh, pay the bills and all that stuff? Why should they be any different? Who gets away from it? <laughs> I, don't, you, I don't see that as you don't, realistic. You don't ever get away from it? People get away from their jobs. Go on vacation, not answering the text. You still think about it. We're in a sports business, right? Thankfully, gratefully, for sure. And do you think I disconnect from sports for a week? I gotta say, never. I've, I've gone absolutely I've gone, never. I've gone to Hawaii, and my wife talks about me unplugging, but I've also watched the NBA finals in Hawaii. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. It's two o'clock there, three o'clock in the afternoon, and the championship is starting. What? I've watched the NBA finals in Mexico, and what I did on that was uh, they had uh, staying in a nice Marriott, and uh, they have a workout room, and I would plan instead of doing it in the morning. I would plan to do it in the evening because they had televisions. Hit the treadmill and watch the game. So, no. Well, me is bench press, obviously. Clearly. But, uh, so, no. Get get away completely, 100%. Who does that? Andy Bailey, NBA writer for Bleacher Report, is coming up next. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you apart by Davis Vision. Davis Vision is giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Time to welcome in Andy Bailey, NBA writer for Bleacher Report. Andy, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Excellent. Maybe not as good as uh, Urson Ilyasova, who knows he's getting an NBA paycheck. <laughs> yes. How big a deal is that for the Jazz? Is that just a little move around the uh, around the edges, a little insurance policy, or do you see it as more than that? I would probably say it's it's a move around the edges, as you described. But, you know, I I think Utah's bigger need may still be perimeter defense, just more bodies to throw it. Guys like LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, um, and so from that sense, it's a little bit curious. Um, but you can see why the Jazz would like him. I mean, they they've been in the business of forwards who can shoot for a while, and he makes sense on that front. I I don't think that he, you know, immediately steps into a huge role. If anything, he maybe supplants George Niang somewhere down the line. But Niang has, you know proved himself to be a pretty valuable shooter off the bench, too. So he, he might even have to fight for minutes um, once he gets there. And Utah's got a pretty stout eight- or nine-man rotation already. Um, so, I you know, it's not a huge, earth-shattering move. But, I you know, I could see how he could help down the line. He's certainly a guy who can rebound a little bit and, and hit some threes. He's, he's not a great three-point shooter. He's kind of a mid-30s guy for his career. Um, but mostly it's, it's, I think the way you described it is good. It's, it's probably an insurance policy. So then do you see them making another move to get that perimeter defender you speak of? Well, yeah, I mean, what's interesting is you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they let Shaq Harrison go, um, Uh to sign Ersan Ilyasova. So that, that was interesting because, you know, I, I thought he's a guy who could maybe be that 
perimeter defender, and maybe he just didn't show enough behind the scenes to stick around. Um, you know, so certainly that move could be out there. The, the Ilya Silva signing, frankly, surprised me quite a bit because I thought they were pretty set already. Um, you don't get the point differential Utah has right now and the best record in the league without being pretty good and having a pretty strong rotation. Um, so I was a little surprised to see any moves at all. And so I would I would kind of default to that position again. I'd, I'd be surprised if they made another move just because I think they're really good. Um, and, you know, certainly no team wants to rest on their laurels and, and not get better. So they're probably looking for that kind of help. Um, but I don't think it's going to be any name that blows us away. If, if there's another signing or a small trade or something like that, it'll probably be um, around the same level of impact as the Celia Silva deal. You know, the thing that always seems to me is that, it, first off, for the guys who they're struggling to defend, well, the whole league is struggling to defend those guys. Correct. And if yeah. you get somebody who can at least make life hard for those guys, well, then he's going to hurt you offensively, and you're going to have to play a four-on-five a little bit because whoever they bring in is not going to shoot the ball as well as the guys they have because if you can defend that well and you can shoot the ball that well, you're already in the league and you're a star. So I get why people want or think the Jazz need that because everybody needs another one of those guys. Literally every – I mean, the Lakers could use more depth. They could use one of those guys, but those guys aren't available. I, I think you are you hit the nail on the head there, and I and I actually think sort of the national conversation regarding that need for the Jazz is a little bit overblown. I think they have closing lineups where they can certainly play Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal at the same time, and those are two of the better perimeter forward defenders in the league. Um, you know, <laughs> Jazz fans, I'm sure remember fondly when Joe Ingles basically shut Paul George out of a series. Um, a few years ago, he's he's an underrated perimeter defender. I think Royce O'Neal is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league right now. Um, where Utah runs into a little trouble, I think, is is their backcourt's kind of small with Conley and Mitchell, and that can cause some problems. But I think they have more options on the perimeter than people give them credit for. And like you said, you know, even if they give up a little bit of um, you know defensive solid. I don't know if I'm making up words at this point. Um, they make up for it with the ridiculous amount of shooting that they put on the floor. Um, you know, I, I'm still probably in the camp of, you know, if it's a seven-game series against the Lakers or, or probably even the Clippers, I'd probably pick one of those L.A. teams. But I think Utah is much closer to a title contender uh, than people want to give them credit for. So when the second half resumes, they've got the home game against Houston. Then they play the next couple of weeks. So in a seven-day span, they're playing four games each of the next two weeks. And that's a lot of games, but I know that everybody else is in the same boat to one extent or another. But considering that they went into the All-Star break a little bit of a slump, how important would you say those first two weeks are knowing that the games are coming at them fast and furious? Yeah, I'd say it's pretty important. I, you know, it would certainly be nice to enter the playoffs as the one seed. I don't, I don't know if they have that as a goal on the whiteboard or anything like that. Um, but they want to get some of that momentum back that they had at the beginning of the year. I also don't think, you know, it, it would be nice if they came out and blew the doors off to start this second half of the season and got all the media 
um, back behind. I mean, it seemed to me like the media was very excited to jump on. I wouldn't even call it a losing streak that they had before um, the All-Star break. They just happened to lose a couple games, which happens to everybody. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if they want or need that respect back from the media. It's more about just can you have home court throughout the um, Western Conference postseason. And, and though they have a tough schedule at the start of the second half of the season, once they get through that, um, it, it should lighten up quite a bit. It, I, I'm pretty sure the last time I checked, Utah had the easiest remaining strength of schedule in a league. Um, so if they can get through a couple bumps here early on, I, I think they'll be in pretty good shape. So because the Jazz have looked, uh, they have looked a step slow, maybe a little run down when they've had to play three games in four days. They time to get the third one. It's a bit of a struggle. You probably don't have to do it in the playoffs. Maybe you play a seven-game series and you get a back-to-back in the next series, but it's not really something that happens much in the playoffs. So since you don't have to prep for that in the playoffs, what about the idea now, since you've got an eight, nine, ten-man rotation uh, with Niang and Ilyasova and with Mieoni being kind of an 11th guy now, what about the idea of when you hit these back-to-backs and the three games in four days scenario – rotating guys out of the lineup and sitting them for one night, with the exception of Gobert and Favors, you really can't because you got two guys and you need them both. But in every other place, it seems like they got enough depth. I mean, they, they were 2-0 and when Donovan Mitchell missed. Well, they were 2-0 and when Favors was gone, too, for that matter. Yeah, that was, you know, you mentioned the record uh, when Mitchell sat, and that was kind of what was going through my head as you were laying out that question. I, I think they've also been pretty successful when Conley has sat mm-hmm. this season. And if you go back to last season, um, you know, they, they had that winning streak when, when Conley was out. Um, you know, that's the benefit of depth. And everybody has made that 2014 Spurs comparison to this Utah Jazz team over the last several weeks. And I think this is another one where we can see some parallels. Um, that Spurs team, and, and really for a few years uh, during that era, the Spurs were really good at playing, you know, 11 or 12 guys, um, and it's not to make everybody feel good and, and give everybody a chance to play. Um, it keeps legs fresh for the playoffs, and I think a, a fringe benefit of that is, you know, if you give me Aoni a few more minutes here in the next couple weeks or, you know, over the second half of the season, and suddenly somebody gets hurt in the playoffs and Aoni is called upon to have a more significant role in a series and a big moment, he's going to be more prepared for that um, than he would be if he just spent the entire second half of the season on the bench. So Utah's depth um, could really come in handy as, as this second half of the season is going to have to be compressed for a lot of teams. How much are you buying the Suns? Um, I'm kind of on the fence with them. I'm, I'm not as ready to jump in and call them a title contender as I've heard some other people. I, you know, I, Maybe it's not fair, but I, I still want to see – Devin Booker hasn't played in the playoffs. I mean, that's, I think that's important. Um, DeAndre Ayton, of course, hasn't played in the playoffs. And I think DeAndre Ayton generally, they haven't quite figured out his role um, in this new ecosystem with, with Chris Paul and Devin Booker there. Um, I really like their wings. I, I think Michael Bridges is great, and Cameron Johnson is, is a good player. And um, Chris Paul has obviously been a stabilizing factor there, just like he was with OKC. Um so there's there's no question that they're good and I and I would put them on the fringe. You know, I, I would say tier one right now in terms of teams I think can win the title, 
would be like the Lakers, the Clippers, uh, the Bucks, the Sixers, the Nets, and the Jazz. Um, and I would say the Suns are in Tier 2, whatever that may mean, and I don't know who all is in there with them. Um, are they knocking on the door for Tier 1? Maybe, but I, you know, I'm still just a little bit hesitant because we, we haven't seen as much from then. I mean, obviously we've seen a ton from Chris Paul over the course of his career, but this is still relatively new with the Suns, and it's, it's um, maybe a little too early to crown them. You know, you were talking about how versatile uh, the Jazz were and the options they have. The one thing we really haven't seen a lot of, well, that may not be. The one thing we haven't seen as much as I think some Jazz fans are intrigued by is Joe Ingles closing if the Jazz think the backcourt is too small in a given matchup. You know, take Conley out at the end of the game. Or we saw the Sixers go right at Bogdanovich in overtime. They clearly yep. thought he's a defensive liability. We can attack him, and they did. And they got enough buckets to win the game. So if there's a a matchup issue with either one of those guys, why not put Ingles in the closing lineup and take out one of those guys? How willing would you to be would you be to do that? And how much does that mess with whatever chemistry we're going to hear about? Blah blah blah. That's that's the big consideration. Obviously, is what does it do? Um, to the other guys, and, and as far as I can tell, this is a team that's got a lot of very level-headed players, um, and whoever that odd man out may be would, would hopefully be okay with that, but that's something I've been thinking about for weeks. I mean, if you look at lineup data, um, yeah, there are some lineups that are just phenomenal with Joe Ingles in them, and, and versatility is how you started that question. Um He's extremely versatile. I, you know, he can he can be as effective a spot up shooter as Bogdanovich is, but he's a, a much better perimeter defender, um, and he's a much better decision maker in the, the pick and roll. I mean, we saw that con- that uh, chemistry between he and Derek Favors two years ago in the pick and roll, and I think he's got a little bit of that with Gobert now, too. I, you know, I I just think he does more than Bogdanovich does, and I don't know if that's me saying that Bogdanovich is the one who needs to be bumped out. Um, but there are certainly some games and situations where I think Ingles needs to be on the floor in the closing minutes. I, I think he's shown so much over the last several seasons that he's a guy who doesn't shy away from big moments. I already mentioned that series against Paul George. Um, you know, he hits big shots, but he also comes up big on defense a lot down the stretch. So they're going to have to think about that. That's This is <laughs> the burden of having six or seven guys who can close. I mean, there are other games where you think, you know, Jordan Clarkson should be out there. Um, the way that he can get the offense on track. I mean, there are so many options and configurations and lineups with this team that you could, you know, make an argument for being the closing five. Um, and maybe it's different game to game. But, I, you know, I, for Joe Ingles specifically, I think he's certainly earned more closing minutes. So we've seen Blake Griffin to the Nets. Anything else you're expecting? Um, this is such a weird trade deadline to try to, gauge because we've got the play-in tournament of course and so i think a lot of teams are going to talk themselves into you know we can be one of those top 10 teams we can get a little bit more experience possibly some playoff experience if we get lucky in that play-in tournament um you know one team there's been a lot of buzz about is the orlando magic over the last couple of weeks um and it sounds like a lot of guys could be available for them i mean it would take a pretty big offer to get somebody like bucevic but it sounds like Evan Fournier might have, might be available, Aaron Gordon. Um, so that's maybe a team to, be, to keep an eye on. The Andre Drummond buyout is still a possibility, and it sounds like he might go to the Nets too, um, which would 
be interesting. I think they might have a glut of big man at that point. Um, so it's, it, it's long story short, it's kind of a hard trade deadline to figure out. I think the Beal thing is that's just not going to happen this season. At least it doesn't seem like it. I, I think somebody would have to just blow the doors off um, for Washington to, to to consider moving him at this point. Um, so I don't, you know, I hesitate to say we're going to have a dud of a trade deadline because I thought that in years past, and then we just get a, an avalanche of moves on that day. Um, but right now it's just kind of hard to see which team is going to open those floodgates. The Lakers, or as David Locke likes to say in that drop, I hate the freaking Lakers. Uh, <laughs> their, their depth is sub, such an issue. Do you see them adding a guy or two, even if it's fringe player, role player? Because unlike the Jazz, where if you add somebody with one skill set, the Jazz have good depth, and now you're not as well-rounded a team. But the Lakers have depth issues, so any one skill set they add, whether it's somebody who can uh, rebound shot block or somebody can shoot the three or somebody deep D guys up, that might be an asset for them in any one given series, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think they should be um, relatively aggressive. Um, you know, I don't know if that means a veteran who's just kind of sitting on the couch right now and would take a veteran minimum. Um, you know, I, I don't know who that guy is, but they certainly have depth problems. Um, I think you take the second best player off any team, and they're obviously going to struggle. So, so as long as they've got LeBron and AD in the playoffs, they're going to be formidable. Um, but those those other positions, um, they they could certainly use a boost around the roster. Dennis Schroeder is not as good as he was with OKC. Um, Wesley Matthews just kind of looks like a shell of himself at this point. Um, so they could they could certainly use a boost on the perimeter, but I would, I would be hesitant to hit the panic button. If I'm LA, I don't, I don't think they need to do anything dramatic. Um, but if there's a, if there's a veteran out there, or a buyout candidate out there, I, they're, they're going to have their, um, they're going to have their ear on a, on a bunch of possibilities. PJ Tucker's a guy I thought about for them a little bit ago. And, you know, I don't know if he suddenly becomes good again because he's been bad in Houston, frankly, and, and maybe he'll be more motivated on a contender. Um, but yeah, they they absolutely could use some depth. Well, Andy, we appreciate a little bit of time you coming on talking a little NBA with us, and uh, the games are going to pick up here real quick now. Uh, a little bit Wednesday, a lot Thursday, and the Jazz on Friday. Thanks, Andy. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Andy Bailey, NBA writer for Bleacher Report, join us right here on ninety-seven five and twelve eighty The Zone. Everything you missed in this show, we'll get you up to speed next. Stay with us. The Big Show Big Show with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sarah Todd, she covers the Jazz for the Deseret News. I don't think we have any reason to be worried about the Jazz and their positioning in the league. There's no reason to doubt their talent or their skill level or, or even to look back on what they've been able to do so far in the first half of the season and think that it was a fluke. I think the second half of the season is obviously going to be more telling than the first half. That's when they want to be playing their best basketball as the season progresses. You know, this team is incredibly talented and they've been doing a lot of things at such a high level and the fact of the matter is they are the winningest team in the league this season. And until they give me a reason to really doubt them, I'm not. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Corey defended by Loner. Gets a screen from Timmy. Dribbles the top of the key. Pulls up for one more. And he's got another one. Corey Kispert fired up, pumping his fist. He's hit three early in the half. And the Bulldogs cut the lead to 55-52. 
Suggs off Timmy's screen, drives, shot up, high off the glass, and in. Beautiful touch from the freshman. Gonzaga right back on top by two. Nemhart dribbles to the free throw line. Cut off there. Pass right side. Suggs, he catches and shoots. The three is good. All net for the freshman. A huge one for Jalen. He's got 20. BYU, Gonzaga, the Cougars had a 12-point lead at halftime. They were shooting like 70% from three. I mean, it was just outrageous. They were crushing it. Gonzaga came out in the second half with an 11-2 run. They traded hoops hoops for a long time in a close game. It was tied until right about the four-minute mark. 4.03 to go. Jalen Suggs scores on a layup, and that started a 15-5 run for Gonzaga to close the game. They win 88-78. They win the second half 47-25. It was like two different games, PK. It was two different games in that one team versus the other, but sort of the same type of game in that BYU was way hot in the first half and Gonzaga was way hot in the second half. And Gonzaga's defense really turned it up in the second half. That was what was, I think, two to me is a couple of things as far as the shooting. They had to hit the three-point shots. Even if they had, they really buckled down defensively, there's no question. But I think it had to be augmented by the Kispert coming out and hitting the three-point shots and then, and then Suggs taking over to where I think that BYU obviously would have had a better chance, even with the increased intensity by Gonzaga's defense. If Gonzaga wasn't hitting, maybe the lead would have still been six or eight, and so there would have been more pressure on offensively from the Gonzaga perspective. But Kispert took care of that right off the bat. And he's a premier shooter, man. There's no doubt about it. If he's going to get squared up, he's going to make probably 60%, 70% of those shots. This is exactly what he did. And then Suggs is a phenomenal player, maybe the best guard that Gonzaga's ever had. And if you're a Gonzaga fan, appreciate him because I don't think he's going to be there much longer. Well, it goes to what you said. He's certainly a top five pick. And, you know, if he goes two or three, I don't think that'll surprise. It won't shock people, certainly. And Kispert is projected as probably a lottery pick. He's probably late in the lottery, and Suggs is going to be very early in the lottery. But, hey, you got a college basketball team, and you got two guys who are going to go in the first half of the first round. You ought to be pretty good. And Gonzaga, they're really good. 26-0 and 0 now going into the NCAA tournament. If you had to put a number on it, 20%, 50%, 80%, whatever, what number would you put on Gonzaga going undefeated and winning the whole thing at 32-0 and 0 and being the first team since Indiana in 1976 to have a perfect season? I think I'd put it about even money. I mean, it's impossible to say because I don't know. You don't the know the lineups. brackets yet in the draw, right, yeah. So, uh, and uh, to me, they're going to waltz into the Sweet 16. To me, they're like those Utah teams uh, once they got going in the 90s is they pretty much had a clear path to the Sweet 16. Uh, early, uh, there's a couple of games. I think uh, Utah and Iowa State when Van Horn was, what, uh, junior, I think it was. But then other than that, man, it seemed like they, they just could waltz into it for two or three years, into the Sweet 16. So I certainly expect Gonzaga to be playing deep into the tournament as far as I would be anything. I would be absolutely shocked if they were not playing on that Elite Eight weekend with the opportunity to go to the Final Four. But once you get to the opportunity, so you're getting that regional final, although they don't, they're not going to really have the regions this year. I don't think uh, they'll have brackets, but obviously it's all in Indiana. So I'm not even sure how that's going to play out. But the fact that 
if they're not playing, whether it's on that Saturday or Sunday, for the right to go to the NCAA tur- to the Final Four, I would be very much surprised. And now that I think about it, I think having everything in in Indiana might favor the favorites even more, if that makes sense. Because. Well, your your routine is right there. There's nothing. You take the travel out of it. Yeah, yeah. The fatigue to a degree. Yeah, you just there's nothing unusual about it. Uh, it's all. It's almost uh, we saw in the bubble. Now I don't know how it's going to work in far as far as different gyms mm-hmm. and how many how that's what they're going to do as they narrow it down and we get from first weekend to second weekend. You know, are they going to? If you're the higher seed, does the other team have to come to where you've been playing? I'm not sure all those details. Maybe they've already been ironed out, and I just haven't seen them. But just off the top of my head, I think that it's going to favor somebody like Gonzaga to where they're just going to be wherever they're going to be, and that should help more time and everything and rest time and whatnot. And Obviously, in most games, if not all of them, they're going to be favored. But when you get down to that what we can so that would be the fourth game. What we would normally phrase as the regional final. Still in the lead eight, regardless, right? Yeah, most likely you're going to be playing some quality teams. It'd be interesting to see if there are what we call the Cinderellas all coming out of Indiana. How does that work? I wouldn't be surprised if the more recognizable blue bud type programs this year uh, are the ones that. Maybe the seeds are truer this year. I don't know that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Makes sense when you get two really good teams in one league uh, and then one gets to stay in the region, but one has to. We've often seen an ACC or a Big Ten team <clears throat> shipped Big East, shipped out to uh, a Western site. You know, UConn's had to come out to Salt Lake City and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And how well do teams travel? So, you know, maybe if you're, uh, if you're a Western team playing a West, even if you're a worse seed, that's a little bit of an advantage. You didn't travel. And if they all go to Indiana and then just sit there, yeah, it won't take long for the whole jet lag thing to equalize itself. You know, been there that's a week. That's what I'm thinking. You've been there a week, so that ought to that, – you take that out of the equation. I would assume that they'll still have regionals and isolate teams in gyms just because everyone seems to be really worried about contact tracing and all that. So why would you mix up the buildings? If you didn't have to, you know, right. uh, on any given week, the four teams that are in one building, I would think they'll have a double header, and whoever wins plays in the same building. I wouldn't think they'd be moving teams around. That doesn't make any sense. I think someone had got that figured out. We'll find out when we get there. You're right. I haven't seen it written about. Uh, so BYU, they will wait to find out their seating now, all kinds of projections that have them in the, you know, the seven range. And then, of course, immediately I see Cougar fans on Twitter saying, well, that means a nine seed because – there were so many times we thought they were going to be a 10 and they were a 12. So we'll see what happens with that. 20-6 and six heading into the tournament now as they wait to find out who they're going to play and uh, win and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would think 7-10. to 10. I actually think that because they were the big show, not to be confused with Gordon and Jake, but they were the big show on a Tuesday night. And everybody knows that that was a tough game from Gonzaga. If you're either if you weren't watching it, you probably saw a score. So I actually think BYU accorded itself well, and will have the opportunity to have the highest seed that they could possibly have because they did not get blown out. Now, certainly, if they would have won, 
I think that uh, that could have helped even more. But they didn't win. But just the fact that they gave Gonzaga all that they can handle. And Mark Few has always been complimentary of BYU. Mark Few loves having BYU in the league. I've literally spoken to him about that in the hallways of the Orleans Arena. And he's gone public with that also, too. And I think that'll help. So I think they'll get about as favorable as they can get under the circumstances. Uh, watching Twitter, it was really clear to your point that lots of people were tracking that game, and if they weren't watching it, they knew what was going on. Because and, and no wonder Mark Few loves it. I mean, yeah, he had to go in and get mad at his team at halftime, but coaches want to do that. It's got to bug him that they've only trailed at halftime once in league play. He's never been able to go in and do that. He knows they need that experience. They're probably oh, yeah. going to gonna trail at halftime in a tournament game, Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final 4, whatever. They're not going to I wouldn't think that they're just going to run six teams off the floor and win the title because nobody does that in the NCAA tournament. So now they didn't throw it. You know, Pacific had a one-point lead on them, so there was that game. But it was one point, and they won the thing by 18. Only one point, a singular point, if you will. Exactly. Uh, high school football, uh, you know, I, I followed uh, Corner Canyon this year, and they had a close game, and, and Dave and Lemon, those guys do a really good job broadcasting the games, and you could tell they're excited to do it. And it's a real plus for the high school kids. But anyway, I'm watching the game on television, and then they interview one of the kids afterward. And he's, and it was a close game. And they may even have to have come behind. And they got this 50-some outrageous winning streak. They haven't lost in four years, blah, blah, blah. And the kid said, this game is way more fun than all, most of the other games when we're up 30 at halftime. Right? And so I got to think Gonzaga – actually liked it having to come from behind because it's brand new because they're always up so big as i said yesterday watching these guys play you better get there early reminds me of the 91 dream team stop it doesn't it nope there was no 91 dream team yes there was they just said they hadn't played yet but they formulated in 91 hence the 92 dream team <laughs> and those guys were just slaughtering people left and right right yep, yep. yeah same they, they... type of deal on Gonzaga's scale and level college hoops today it's the Utes getting into action Wednesday first day of the pac-12 tournament they're facing Washington the second of three games on the pac-12 networks five o'clock tip Washington is five and 20 and they split two games <laughs> with Utah they have five wins and 20 losses. That's horrendous. Hence five and twenty. And you're one of the five. Do not be two of the six, people. Do not Ooh. be two of the six. I'm done. I'm not I'm done. If they lose today, I'm done. You're done. You need to win this, and then a winner gets USC tomorrow. And they did they paneled SC a couple of weeks ago. I think they it was did. on the twenty seventh. SC was in a in a little bit of a slump then. Uh I think that's a winnable game. And really, and I agree with what Larry said that when we had him on the air, I think it was Monday, that uh, you know they've been close and played great games, 1 through 11. They've beaten a lot of these teams. Uh, you know, Oregon is the number one seed, but they had a 10, 12-point lead on Oregon at home a couple uh, last month, or was it in January? I think it was in mid-January, and they blew that game. So the possibility is there. But at the same time, and I wrote about this, they'll post it this morning at KSL, that you realize Utah has not won a Pac-12 tournament game since 2016. Yeah, I do. 
I didn't. Yeah. Even though I was there for all of those games. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm going through and I'm looking, I'm checking it off. Wow, we all we got to go all the way back to 2016. Yeah. And there's a whole range of seeds in those years. From there's one team that had a bye. And I lost think there was multiple the teams that had a bye. Yeah, and then lower seed and lost, in a, and, and now they're in uh, an opening round game. And ugh, yeah, last yeah. year they're in the opening round game, and Washington or uh, was it Washington State? No, who got them? Is it Oregon State? Yeah, Oregon State. There you Oregon go. I knew State. it was a state. Hit a shot. Yeah. Hit a shot. Yeah, and Plummer went nuts, but they still lost the game. And then the tournament shut down the next day. People forget that because of the tournament shutting down. But they actually got in their game. And then they had a couple of losses to Oregon. And then they had a loss to Cal. Yeah. So you got to go back. In 2016, last time they won, I think they won two. And they got to the final. And then Oregon got them there. But, man, 2016, that's a long time for a great program. I think uh, they just sent out an email with a bunch of tournament history stuff in it. You may have read that over. Uh, I took a look at it, and Larry had mentioned, yeah, we've had some tough games with Oregon. And mm-hmm. they have it in, in, this re- in this press release. They have a list of uh, – they have multiple things, but one they have is a list of every – the record of Utah against every school in the tournament. And Oregon's the team they played the most in their own five. The Ducks. And if they run into the Ducks this year, well, they'll have to win a lot of games to run into I the Ducks. I saw a thing <laughs> that uh, Knight is approaching in donations to Oregon University, $1 billion. Well, then they ought to be winning, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the arena that they play in is Knight Arena. It was named after uh, His son? Uh, Phil Knight's son, who I believe was a tragic motorcycle accident, and there was a death involved there. I'd have to double-check that, but I think that's what it was. And That opened a few years back. It's probably seven or eight years now, but you, you lose track of time with that funky court. But that is the Knight Arena, and I believe it's dedicated to the man's son. So certainly, yes, he has been a huge, huge benefactor. It just pisses me off to no end that Nike couldn't have set up shop in Tempe. Nothing wrong with buying wins as long as they're buying ASU wins. The oh, buying exactly. Oregon wins, that's what's repulsive. Right. I mean, you buying yeah. wins for ASU? Well, God bless America. Salute the flag and pass the apple pie, people. Maybe we might even be able to get a one-star uh, player from the Valley to stay, stay. home. <laughs> <laughs> All right, other stuff we talked about. And the College Hoops has really uh, driven it today because it's championship week and the Jazz aren't playing. Oregon the- is just basically a hooker. <laughs> the Jazz did uh, pick up Ursan Ilyasova. And so a vet in his 30s, he can shoot the three a little bit, not real well, 36.5%, but decent. It's good, but not great. And it gives him a little veteran ability and gives him a little uh, a little more size and a little more length. So there you go. Well, sure not pick up, pick up a veteran? I mean, you're not going to be able to develop anybody at this stage. You're not in the development mode. Uh, so go with somebody who you know you're going to get if you should need him to play extended minutes. Now, nothing against the dude, but hopefully they don't need him to play extended minutes. And I don't know that I would look to incorporate him into a game on which you, uh, you know, it's a close game. You get an opportunity to put him in for sure. Uh, and they'll probably have. They've got 36 games left, and I don't think their top nine guys are going to be available for all 36 games. So he'll get an opportunity. 
They were pretty healthy in the first half of the season. That was that was a major plus. I think yeah, he but got, Conley uh, still missed seven games. He missed seven, and what Joe missed three or four, and Donovan missed two, and uh, Mitch, uh, Favors Favors missed two. So you're looking at about 15 games lost by the group. That that's a pretty good number right there. You know, you hope they could replicate that in the second half of the season. And if they do, that's great. But that's still 15 opportunities where Silva can come in and get yep. some experience playing with these guys. Uh, the NFL news, uh, Marcus Williams, former Ute standout, was tagged by the New Orleans Saints, a franchise tag. So a one-year deal for big money. And we'll see where that goes. Uh, notable players who are not tagged, if you're into NFL free agency, Chris Carson, running back in Seattle. Uh, Packers running back Aaron Jones, Lions wide receiver Kenny Galladay. So that kind of looks like the height of the free agent class. Although we're all waiting to see if quarterbacks are going to be traded. So you're looking for offseason moves. That will, if that if that happens, or if it happens multiple times, that will obviously trump whatever is is done with free agency. We've had the oh, one yeah. deal with the Rams. Don't, don't, don't say the word trump. I mean, you always have to get that in there, don't mm-hmm. you? I do. Yeah. So obvious. Yeah, clearly. Uh, Jim Harbaugh has been given the the gauntlet. Only partially thrown down. A Michigan AD who does not want to be nailed down on a number of wins for Harbaugh. Nobody's happy with two and four in their abbreviated season last year. But it really goes to you got to beat Michigan State, you got to beat Ohio State, you got to win the Big Ten. The playoffs, yes, but since you haven't won the Big Ten, first things first. You got to beat Ohio State, you got to win the Big Ten. Well, no one would ever put a win total on someone because then it becomes. An absolute black and white. If you yeah. don't get to nine, well, you're out. If you don't get to ten, whatever that might be. And I don't think you're ever going to hear any form of an administrator put a number, a literal number, on a coach. And they didn't. That's the uh, that's the way to handle it. By the book. Don't put a number on it. Right. But it's clear the pressure is building. Beat Michigan State, beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten. Well, I mean, yeah, but the, the administrator didn't have to say anything on that. Nope. They all know it. Steven Strasburg made his spring training debut when he's healthy. He's been very, very good. Uh, didn't pitch much last year. Just made two starts, only uh, five innings. He had carpal tunnel surgery. Uh, he's had plenty of health issues, plenty of surgery, but he always seems to bounce back from him and be good until he has the next surgery. So, assuming he will bounce back and be good again. We'll see. All right, anything else that came up in the show that you want to mention? We covered it. That's the highlights. I think we good. DJ and PK, your feedback coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it is time for your feedback. What do you got to say? One of our favorite golf guests, Masters champ Mike Weir, spring fever, dot, dot, dot. Who else is ready for at the Masters? Oh, yeah, I think it's a, a month from this weekend, isn't it? I think that's why he's tweeting it out. He knows the countdown is on. He can feel it. Oh, for sure. One of my favorite events of the year. Put on the green jacket and head over to the Champions Dinner. I want to ask Mike one of these times, would you rather go to heaven or go to the Champions Dinner? <laughs> and he would say, what's the difference? I don't know. I've never been to either. Right. But... <laughs> And I'm never going to either, for that matter. All the guys who've been to the Champions Dinner speak of it glowingly. It is always a fabulous evening. Well, it's you one of the most exclusive, if not the most exclusive, yeah. club that we have in sports. 
Clint Peterson tweets at us about the Jazz. Bogdanovich should be benched. L-O-L. Space. K. Benched? Well, see, uh, the Philly game, I thought Joe had it going on. And I know, and I'm just second-guessing, and I don't know what I'm talking about compared to whatever Quinn Snyder knows. The least of his knowledge is more than the most of my knowledge. We all understand that. But they went right at Bogdanovich in that overtime with Tobias Harris. Who would have thought that Tobias Harris would be a critical component when you got Embiid and Simmons on the floor? And Joe was really, really playing well. I just wonder sometimes if you should go away from the formula. Now, the formula's gotten them in the first in first place, so I can see him, uh, Quinn, saying, PK, I got one word for you, and I can't say it on the radio. So I understand all that, but I mean that's 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 about what fandom is. I mean it's just, it's not like yeah, I'm but I don't, this, I don't this think person's that's, not a horrible horrible coach. It's just stuff that crosses my mind. But I don't think it's hot take territory where you just do it to stir the pot and it has no substance to it. And you love to say I never played the game. Okay, that's a hot take. You're just trying to rile people up when game, you say though. that. You did coach the game, Junior Jazz baby. You were state <laughs> champs. <laughs> but I think that, you know, you got five minutes against Philly in overtime, and Embiid is hot. It wasn't just that they went at bogey. It's like they went away from a guy who was hot. Embiid had it rolling in the fourth quarter, or Philly wouldn't have gotten to overtime. The Jazz would have won it in regulation if Embiid wasn't lighting it up. And I was stunned in that game when they went away from Embiid in overtime because I thought, well, you're going to get a steady diet of, o- of Embiid in OT. He's got it going. And instead they go right at bogey, and have success on the first two possessions. And so, okay, b- there's one thing between benching them, and there's another thing for taking them out for three or four minutes when there's a matchup that's really bad. Right. That, that's in my mind, is not benching Right, exactly. I wouldn't bench him, no right. question. But, okay, for the next three or four minutes, maybe we need to go with somebody else. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Joe's got it. Maybe Joe can stop him defensively. Maybe he can. Maybe he can deny him the ball so he doesn't get posted up. I don't know. You know, but is it worth a chance? Because Philly's up four with four minutes to go in OT, and it's so quick. And you're like, what are you going to do to, you know? And there are matchups. The Jazz small backcourt. These guys are wildly talented, or they wouldn't have been. But the All Star game, both of them. But there are going to be times where they're going to be a lot smaller than the guys that they got to defend. So maybe if and if they've got it going and the other guys don't, who cares? But if the bigger lineup has it going, maybe putting Joe in there. And having a little more size on the floor, you know, it's not it's not permanent, but the NBA is a game of matchups. It'd be a shame to have a great team and let one team and let an opponent pick at a matchup and win a series because of it. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. All right, DJ and PK, time to welcome in Andrew Reinhardt, Wasatch Medical Clinic. Andrew joins us right now. And Andrew, Cambridge University, studying what you're doing. See if it's really working or if you're selling snake oil. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's a pretty good sign when Cambridge University looks into the technology, uh, no matter what the outcome. Uh, For men struggling with ED, we're talking about acoustic wave therapy, of course. Uh, Cambridge took... I forget the number of men, but a group of men with erectile dysfunction. And it was kind of interesting because they intentionally uh, took men that uh, were no longer responding to the pills. So I'm assuming pretty severe ED. They put them through the technology, our exact technology, uh, and then tested the results after. Their words were high success rate. Uh, every man or almost every man experienced an increase in blood flow. So this is a good thing. They also said 
safe, no side effects. If you're out there listening, struggling in the bedroom at any level, or just want to improve things, these treatments have been a game changer for so many guys, helping them get off the pill and improve things with their significant other. So for people who've had other injuries, a kind of a knee injury, acoustic wave theory, therapy, did you invent this? Did you tweak this? Did you um, borrow it from stuff that's been used for like people who've gone through knee surgery? Is there any relationship with that kind of stuff? You know, I do think that we borrowed it. It's been used since the 1950s for improving blood flow, the legs, the feet, joints, knee, uh, neovascularization is what it creates. And that's a good thing. We specialize in using it for ED, and the clinical studies have kind of agreed with that. So this is a proven technology that's been heavily studied on a lot of parts of the body. We happen to specialize in this part of the body. All right, so uh, you usually have a special offer. What kind of deal do you have for the listeners who love deals, who love bonus value? Yes, a lot of value. Uh, This is the last segment of the day. We'll do the assessment, the exam, the blood flow ultrasound a great chance to meet with our doctor, get your questions answered. Uh, We'll throw in a little gift. It produces immediate results in the bedroom. Very popular, by the way. Uh, Give us a call. We do this all totally free. Guys, you can call Andrew right now. Wasatch Medical is 801-901-8000. That's 801-901-8000. Call Andrew right now. Get the special deal at 801-901-8000. Andrew, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you.